Welcome, everyone, to What the Fiction. I'm Marie Claire Gould, your host, and with me is Natasha. We are here to talk about Love Between Fairy and Devil, which is uh, an amazing sea drama. Amazing. That uh, we have become very quickly obsessed with. (laughs) I think a lot of people have become obsessed with it, at least from what I can gauge online. I haven't seen a response to a a show in a while. on this level. Yeah, it is insanity that uh, what has been going on with it, with the um, sort of like, I guess it's the level of um, interest in sort of, I guess, the enemies to lovers, maybe. Yeah, it like hits all the right notes and happens to also execute them in a way that is almost unparalleled for other like previous iterations of this genre. So it it's like took everybody by storm, not only people that are avid drama watchers, but people that might just be coming into the, like for the first time, which is why we're doing this stream. Exactly. Uh, we have um, a bunch of stuff to talk about, but first let's do some uh, quick intros. Again, I'm Marie Claire Gould. Um, I host this channel as well as talk about Star Wars in general on What the Force. Um, we've been friends for a really long time and we've done more than enough streaming. So, uh, this is, this is so much fun to actually get to get back together with you and do some more, more streaming. And I guess the kind of introduction of like genre, genre for me, which is what we're going to primarily be talking about this episode, uh, for me was Ashes of Love, which is mm-hmm. not something that you jump into lightly. No. <laughs> and uh, actually was my first genre as well and recommended by you and quite a few other people. And I just remember watching the first episode and seeing uh, the burnt bird carcass of our <laughs> Phoenix male lead being buried into the ground and watered by the female lead and being like, I don't know what I got into, but it seems really cool. <laughs> yeah. It was definitely like a new thing for us to, yeah. to get into. And like, um, I think that uh, kind of just talking about some disclaimers about what we're going to talk about and how we're going to talk about it, because this is an intro primarily because um, we both watched uh, you know, love between fairy and devil on Vicky or Aichi Chi, yeah, mm-hmm. which is where it was available first. Um, but it's now coming to Netflix tomorrow as of this stream and recording. Yeah. And, and it was pushed up a week too. Like it must oh. be that big of a thing that they pushed it up. Cause I was planning on having the stream later, but yeah. Uh, yeah. We and so we, we pushed it up as well to, to be like, yeah, let's talk about this because we both just absolutely love this show. Um, this is going to be kind of an intro guide before the show starts. So we're going to try to not super spoil anything. Everything. Although yeah. <laughs> if you do pay attention to C-drama uh, intros, they always give the entire story away. That's just a recognition there. Um, not that this beautifully illustrated intro is actually going to ruin the story for you more that it's going to hit the specific beats and notes that they really believe are the emotional resonance of the show. Um, but yeah, we will avoid spoilers at all costs. We will be talking about themes and like higher story things, but um, we will save our real deep meaty spoilers until our next stream, which we plan on doing. Yeah. There's also 
a ton of intro into like the themes that are in in Janja, the background in Janja, but also in this show specifically. And and it is it is pretty common amongst Janjas. You will like watch Love and Redemption and get very similar things happening. There mm-hmm. is some very cool, unique tropes that are done in here that are all done together just because it's fun. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's a kitchen sink drama. It has everything. <laughs> it has everything. Uh, we apologize that we are two very white women from North America. Or sorry, I'm a white woman and Nat is a non-binary human. Um, but uh, we're very white people and we don't speak Mandarin. So No, we're trying. We're learning. It's going to be uh, bad. <laughs> but yeah, um, we apologize for pronunciation. Uh, just chalk it up to the fact that we also don't pronounce English words correctly as well. We're... I personally am an awkward person, so sometimes things come out sounding completely different than they are written down. Um, just going to put that out as a warning and caveat. Um, I also say that in addition to that, I, there are plenty of other voices talking about dramas that have much more value than our podcast here, or our stream here. Although I do feel like we have value here, but in the sense that we're approaching it as people that um, from our own like subjective experiences as casual or maybe a little bit hyper fixated drama watchers. So anytime that I can wreck somebody who has a better perspective on it, I am, I will do it. Um, we have a couple in the end of the slideshow. Uh, but yeah, if you have any recommendations as well, please send them our way. I am happy to retweet or uh, lampshade those on our next stream, especially. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's primarily from a sense of enjoyment and love for these Mm -hmm. dramas that we come from. And so if we get anything wrong, we seriously apologize in advance. (laughs) We do. We do. And we we will happily correct ourselves later if we need to. All right. Let's talk about drama phenomenon in general, Nat. Yeah. uh, This is a huge topic that I just put out right up front, even though uh, (laughs) we are not going to be going into it specifically in this uh, presentation. But I did want to note that Asian dramas, in terms of their popularity, have really skyrocketed in the last few years, especially because people have been stuck inside. So that absolutely makes sense. People are watching more TV. They're more committed to long-term shows. Um, But, you know, um, again, you know, putting that in the lens of a specifically U.S. and Canadian perspective here, uh, Asian dramas have been an international and cultural phenomenon for a very long time. And there are many, many shows reaching back to, you know, as long as television has been around. Um, We're just touching the surface of what is a very historied um, medium. And we should recognize that. I've included, you know, older K-dramas in here, but also older J-dramas. Like J-dramas mm-hmm. don't usually get the same platform that K-dramas or even C-dramas do because they're specific to Japanese television and they're not syndicated or licensed out very often. Mm-hmm. So we're missing out on a lot of this media. And now that we have the opportunity to, to uh, explore it and experience it, it's something that we want to get out as being like, this is a thing that whatever your interests are, you'll find something within it that will spark something within you. Yeah. And, you know, I think just the popularity of Squid Game really took a lot of people by surprise that there is such amazing, um, you know, shows out there, but also movies. We've also had, you know, Parasite and uh, Last Train to Busan, like your... Mm -hmm. You're, they're out there and there's a lot of really cool media that isn't necessarily caught up in the same 
how can I put it? North American BS. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, we've dealt a lot with Western storytelling gravitating towards things in a very, I guess, what do you would say with capitalistic intent? Yeah. You know, what is big budget? What is uh, provocative enough, maybe even more violent uh, enough to get people to recognize it as, you know, as something that's prestige, I would yeah. say, because there's a lot of trash TV, too. And I'm not saying that all dramas are prestige. There are a lot of trash. Yeah. Dramas, of course, we understand that. Um, but within the specific cultural and societal context that these other shows are coming out of, there are almost more interesting and uh, more, I, I feel more uh, drawn to the messages that they usually have over a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff that's coming out today on, in terms of our uh, Western media. Yeah. And, you know, that isn't to say that Western media doesn't have amazing television that is also really, really interesting, but it, we find we are especially drawn to a lot of the femme gaze of yeah. the media that we see. Um, specifically, like the K-drama phenomenon and the like sort of Korean wave of dramas that have been coming on have become super popular. We mentioned yeah. Squid Game. Uh, Crash Landing on You is internationally one of the most successful K-dramas. Um, mm -hmm. there's yeah, endless and and endless <laughs> amounts of them, like of, of dramas that like people I just work with have seen, all of them is seen crash landing on you because it's available on Netflix and it's translated into many languages, um, where they, they either have subs or dubs. They have full on mm -hmm. dubs for, um, many languages on Netflix as well, which increases the, um, accessibility to a lot of people that cannot handle subtitles. Yeah, exactly. And um, obviously, the K drama phenomenon has been having a long time. But you know, we had uh, periods of like the early Hallyu wave and like the current Hallyu wave that we've been talking mm -hmm. about. And like recently, with you know the ubiquity of K pop or the ubiquity of K uh, Korean movies that are coming and Japanese movies too that are coming into our our film. You know. Uh, mm -hmm just our, our general zeitgeist is changing to become more international. And I think that's a positive shift. And it's been nice to see K-dramas really push that because like my mom watches probably more K-dramas than I do. Like, mm. And I think that being able to talk about that kind of storytelling with her or with anybody that I like, I, you know, just, it, it feels like a, a little bit like more of replacing that, that instinct that we used to have for maybe like the water cooler TV talk, like, or the af post game of Thrones Mondays or whatever. So, yeah. 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 <laughs> no. And, and also like just with that, with the combination uh, with popularity of Korean based groups like BTS and other um, musical artists as well. Like there's a general like cultural shift where, um, Korean culture specifically is becoming more well known yeah. internationally. Yeah. And I believe a lot of that has to do with the relationship between the US and South Korea being so tightly ingrained historically. And obviously, we're not going to get into that. But in terms of the e like ease of access in regards to doing licensing mm -hmm. or doing uh, or even just, you know, uh, making these international handshakes to get things pushed over here. Uh, it definitely does seem like uh, Korean media and Korean uh, 
anything pretty much goods are becoming more of the norm for uh, American culture or Canadian culture as well. Exactly. Yeah. North American culture. North American. Yeah. Yeah, So so what sets uh, dramas apart for you? Okay. Uh, So uh, for people not listening, I've included a slide here where I've put up a very interesting graphic in regards to um, the actual statistics in regards to why I personally like dramas more than anything else. And it's a quote from Forbes from 2019 from a very nice writer. And I have the article that I have linked here in my PowerPoint will share, of course. According to the Center of the Study of Women in Television and Film, only 27% of directors, writers, producers, executive producers, editors, and photography directors working on U.S. network programs are women. In Korea, the number of female screenwriters is closer to 90%. And while things have changed since 2019, they have not changed in a way where I would look at that statistic and say that Mm -hmm. it's even close. Um, when you're talking about what I am looking for, primarily I am looking for more diverse voices in creation processes. And not just women, mm-hmm. of course, but anybody that has a different lens than your standard, uh, which is unfortunately <laughs> right now pretty masculine gaze. Um, so that is what's drawn me to dramas and kept me hooked for life. Yeah, exactly. And uh, the types of stories that I personally get even with something like Squid Game, which has a fair, fairly dark, violent, uh, you know, uh, story that's that's involved in it, still focuses on the characters and the internal mot- motivations, and even feels different than a lot of North American media. Yeah, exactly. And I think a lot of the resonation of that was specifically within the context of late stage capitalism and the response of like people in desperate conditions Mm -hmm. being pushed to the extreme. I think that's part of the reason why that popularity of that uh, drama came out. And I'm, but I'm really glad to see it. commentary around it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And you can see that with things like Parasite as well, like, Mm -hmm. um, again, but you know, you have to at least try to delve into that context in order to understand, you know, why is something so universal to us, even though it might be in a different language or from a different societal and cultural lens. Exactly. And, you know, I really also appreciate that um, we typically know how long these shows are going to be. Mm-hmm. And very rarely are they left like undone or with open threads. You know, there is occasionally um, things that were like, oh, this was going to be two seasons and they only did one season. Um, that That's occasionally not, you know, a lot of the time where we fall in love with a character or a show or a concept and it didn't get high enough ratings. And so we never see it ever again. They actually tend to focus on trying to tell the complete story more often than not. Yeah. So if you're not familiar with dramas at all, most like Korean dramas will be 16 episodes. So they'll always follow that specific 16 episode, about an hour, maybe a little bit more uh, time frame to tell a specific story. Uh, C dramas used to be very, very long. Um, 48 episodes was typical for most of them, um, up to 60 to 70. Uh, Now Mm -hmm. they've put caps on that down to 36, thank God. God, because and 24 too for modern C dramas. So that has helped, you know, reduce some of the pacing issues. Um, 
But also to note, like these shows are typically based on pre-existing IP, unlike American television, where you're just kind of have a writer's room and you're throwing at the wall and you're seeing how popular it is. What they're doing is they're taking pre-existing stories and knowing their audience, knowing what the audience expects. And sometimes these stories aren't completely finished, but they have a general idea of where they're going. So they're able to lay out this framework for them and put them out. So that's why I included business proposal on mm -hmm. this uh, slide because of the fact that this was a pre-existing webtoon that got turned into a very popular drama that was released. And um, I think that's a model that we should be continuing to look at more here from a Western framework, but we'll yeah. get there someday. And and we're actually getting a little bit more of that with uh, the introduction of Laura Olympus as an animated show. Mm -hmm. uh, we should be getting it this year, I hope. Um, but that's you know these are these are true tried and tested materials, and uh, studios tend to like to do that. The only question is if they adapt it faithfully or to the to adapt it in a way that works for television. Yeah. And that can be a very yeah. sticky situation overall, for sure. All right. So why not see dramas? <laughs> so I have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, obviously, I've been chewing your ear on this like for like, what, three years or something? Yes. Um, I, in our slide, I have included a few examples of, of things that people might not know were originally sea dramas or at least a Taiwanese drama in the case yeah. of Meteor Garden, which you've already covered on your own F4 um, streaming and podcasting. <laughs> but um, for example, Scarlet Heart Rio, which was a very popular uh, K-drama from 2016, was originally based on Scarlet Heart, which was a Chinese uh, very popular drama that was based on a web novel that was serialized about a woman who transmigrates, tra time travels back to a very specific period in history mm -hmm. after being in an accident and ends up embroiled with multiple princes and uh, imperial uh, like conspiracy and all these kind of things. Um, but just to say that, you know, um, outside of what we're exposed to through Netflix and other platforms, the, you know, the adaptation iteration that's been happening in Asian drama land, it has been going mm -hmm. on for a very long time. And most people don't know that they've already been exposed to a lot of stuff that is basically sea dramas. I think that there's sort of a mental block. Go-Go Princess go and Mr. Queen. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah. Things that have already existed that have been taken up because of their popularity by other countries and remade. And we like to see that, actually, because it's always neat to see the adaptational intent behind different cultures and societies when it comes to different stories. Um, yeah. I mean, with, except, except when we do it here in America, because oh, we usually do it badly. <laughs> if you've ever actually watched uh, the Hannah Yori Dango uh, like adapt adaptation for America, you know, like... It's not good. It's not good. No, no, no. I would no, need no. a drink and a half for that, or maybe more. I have so. literally tried to watch every single version of Hanayori Danko. So, yeah, yeah. No, I, I mean, I really appreciate it when it's done in in multiple color cultures. Like covering F four mm -hmm. was awesome because we got to you know really think about Hanayori Dango as a as a property and seeing how it flows and and what the different aspects are added to it and uh carried on through the different cultures as well mm -hmm. as through the different adaptation chances you know yeah absolutely yeah. 
And I do have a quote here. I'm just going to read it really, really quickly for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Before Squid Game rocketed to number one in 24 countries with 142 million viewers and over 3 billion minutes watched, Story of Yanshi Palace was in 70 countries with 700 million viewers in a single day. You know, the Chinese population is quite large, <laughs> reaching more than 15 billion views and becoming uh, Google's most searched show in 2018, even though Google isn't even in China. So I think that's really important to like really put the point down, like, uh, it, you know, eternal love or three lives, three worlds, mm-hmm. three miles of peach blossoms uh like one of your favorite genres one of my favorite genres like that universe um is also extremely popular five billion at the time like two years ago five billion views globally i'll actually correct that number later but that will come up in my next yeah so (laughs) well no i mean that was like many years ago but like we underestimate and I and I think that North American markets in general underestimate how powerful these stories are. Yeah. And I think a lot of the, the past attempts by sort of U.S. producers or companies to market to China have always largely missed the mark because they don't understand that these stories are already being told better. Why would you go for whatever is coming out of what direct is coming out of our studios, right? Yeah, yeah. So yeah, yeah. like, and I, I don't say that lightly as somebody who's watched quite a few, like I reached my 100th show in four years recently. And I have to say, like, I'm, there's no turning back for me. Um, there, There is a viewership for these kind of things, not just because it's on television, but because it's good. And uh, we need to recognize that. And I know that there are, of course, barriers to entry. So I've gone ahead and put a slide together because whenever I try to explain why dramas work for me, whether it's Korean dramas or sea dramas. (laughs) People can really see the barriers to entry. That I've really laid out here. I hope you like my communist Elmo. Um, (laughs) just had to throw it in is that, yeah that is communist elmo good job it yeah, is yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. yeah or just maybe the fear of communism elmo um which i think <laughs> is, is important to address right so yeah. um this is specific to chinese dramas but also of course lands in terms of other dramas whether it's korean or japanese or taiwanese is another um, sub-level mm-hmm. of drama as well um, of course, there's subtitles. Um, that's a huge issue for a lot of people. And understandably, some people don't like to sit down and read they like their television where they can just go and do something else. And I completely understand that. Um, you know, of course, we've got Bong Ho Jun here saying that, you know, once you get past the one inch barrier of subtitles, you'll experience many different stories. And I think that should be remembered every time that this conversation mm-hmm. comes up. I don't really have an argument against it, except for the fact that we are seeing as long as these shows are popular, we are getting them more access to more platforms. Netflix picks up C-dramas after they've already aired on places like iChi and WeTV. Mm-hmm. Have the have the longevity or the, the audience that was invested in them. I do also say as there's more popularity, there is more dubs that are available. That's also like a really key thing. So, you know, it's, it's going to happen. Yeah, it will. I mean, I've watched Nirvana and fire and dubs before. And so like, it's, it's kind of weird, but it's tolerable, especially if the story is good enough that it can distract you from it. So Mm -hmm. I will say that's good. Um, I, I'll, I'll handle this one. The cultural and socio-political <laughs> the vibes are wrong for a lot of people when you mention Chinese media. And yeah. that's 
that's just a matter of the fact that we do have to unlearn some of our prejudices about what this media is, right? So Mm -hmm. with the fact that, you know, we have got state capitalism slash communism in China, that scares people a little bit because they think that they're the ones making this content. Um, They are doing censorship on it in a tool, but not to the degree that is widely like believed here in the West. Censorship typically rotates around whether or not something is going to sort of shirk certain TV values that they have set, whether it's maybe a little too much intimacy or they mentioned something political. Yeah. Um, but it really isn't to the level that people think it is. Wait, it I mean, can, it can be quite extreme, right? It can like, be. uh, completely dubbing over a phrase <laughs> in a drama yes. because it can be very they, jarring too. Yeah. When, when they didn't like it, the most recent example I have, which was a C drama that just recently finished which was um, Love Like the Galaxy, they edited out all of the costumed bows, Mm -hmm. which although correct for the period of time, looked too Japanese. Uh And so they wanted to make sure that the costumes looked appropriately Chinese. (laughs) Yeah. And And so they digitally edited everything. (laughs) That is Intense. Yeah. yeah. It's very similar to one of the e-gaming C-dramas that I watched where they changed the entire game after the show was finished. So it made absolutely no sense why they were not playing um, a, a, a first-person shooter. A first-person shooter. They were playing, yeah. um, they were playing um, pretend hacking instead. Yeah. It was very um, odd. And so yet are, we still watched it. And we said we still watched it because <laughs> yeah. the story was definitely good enough. And... Um, you know, that leads into like, you know, in terms of what's available for C dramas, just as much as K dramas or other um, mediums, mm-hmm. there is something for everyone. So like my go to here that I put whenever I'm asked, what should I watch first? My first thing to say is Nirvana and Fire. But because it's an older drama and a little slower, I don't actually recommend that one, even though it is my favorite. Um, I actually do The Longest Day in Chang'an. Because it fits the mold of what I would say is a quote-unquote Western lens on what is a good story. It is extremely action-oriented, very violent at parts, but it's also an incredibly good story. Mm. And that's what's most important. Um, Like if somebody feels like they don't have a, a way into a specific like medium, I will try to find the thing that they want the most. Tell me what you're interested in. Are you interested in romance? Do you want to watch a drama about a cat that comes from a different universe and turns into a human girl and ends up falling <laughs> in love with a bookshop owner? Yeah. I have one for you. You know, like uh yep. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> no, so, and and what I also really love is that the genres or the the genres and the tropes that are used are more hopeful, typically speaking, mm-hmm. than North American and Western TV. And there is things in it like redemption that you will get. And it's for done even well. the worst people for even this the worst the people. Yeah. yeah, there is no like there is no black and white moralism, the sense of lone wolf individualism in any of these things. And mm-hmm. yes, it's ideological, but it is not just from 
the communist mindset. It's actually based in, of course, Chinese culture, Confucianism, Mm -hmm. a long history of transformation of culture and society, where caring about your fellow person, no matter what state they're in, no matter how far they've gone, is actually kind of an important thing. You know, it's a belief in restorative justice and redemption and, you know, Mm -hmm. finding out where injustice has happened and righting wrongs. So there is more of that kind of good feeling that you get at the end of the day with these stories than you typically do in other uh and other ones yeah exactly and yeah then the last one it's too long i went ahead to put a screenshot of my top rated dramas and the length of them uh and it's a horror story for people who hear it <laughs> 78 really episodes so 78 episodes yeah. i believe is actually the story of ming lan yeah which yeah. is one of my favorite dramas i have watched of all time. it three times so yeah. that's that's where we're at yes Yeah. If you come at me saying you can't watch 78 episodes, it's too long. I can point out a seven season drama that's on Netflix that everybody's watched. And I can say, you watched that. You took the time for it. These are 30 minute, 40 minute episodes. Usually you're going to be fine. Modern Family, 10 seasons, 24 episodes a season. Yeah. See, it exists because you see that number in front of you. It's terrifying. But I will caution that shows are actually getting shorter now. Thank God. God, mm-hmm. um, the one thing that's, that's a good government things. maybe did wrong. <laughs> yeah, the Chinese Cultural Authority decided to actually put a cap on. <laughs> yeah. And meanwhile, K-dramas are getting longer, which is Yeah, they're going to me. 20 episodes. Well, some of them, and of, they yeah. have done that in the past, but like, it's wild. It, I'm like... It is wild. Yeah. yeah. And K-dramas, like my, my struggle with K-dramas and, and the barrier to entry I've had with my own husband trying to get him involved... <laughs> Oh, which, I tried. Like he watched Squid Game, which was great. Mm-hmm. But like uh, we ended up sitting down and watching Crash Landing on You. And he was like, this is an hour and 20 minute episode, Marie Claire. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, that is true. <laughs> yeah. They are like K-drama yeah. episodes are so long. Like I tried to rewatch Goblin recently and that was not a good time. Um, mostly because of pacing, but also because it's, a you know, it's it's long. It's too much. It's yeah. Crazy. It's a lot. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, it is a commitment, but most of these are in streaming platforms. So it's like work at your own pace. Yeah. And same mm-hmm. with them being released. They're usually released in chunks. Um, you, you can catch up when you want to. Nobody is holding your hand and telling you that like, you have to watch it right now. Um, you're not like a hyper fixator like me where you wake up at like seven in the morning <laughs> to watch the new episodes <laughs> to watch the that new just episodes. dropped. Yep. Yeah. That was my summer. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. Because yeah. of uh, you know, Love Like the Galaxy, yeah. uh, Alchemy of Souls and uh mm-hmm. and this, which this one, it was like a little race and like which one <laughs> I was super invested in. And oh my god, did this one like blow my mind. Absolutely one hundred percent. Um I'm not usually shocked anymore, but I was shocked. So and that's good. Let's get it into Janja because Okay, yeah. I'm gonna tell a little story here and we're gonna like Oh, a little story. A story little time. story. Story it's not, time. It's not a huge story. I'm going to make you big. <laughs> you're big now. Am I big? Yes, you're big on the screen. Oh, no. Okay. Um, well, actually, we'll need this slide. Oh. I think it'll probably prove a point here. Um, so back in 2017, in Chinese drama land, uh, we had our usual wrote and go, things are happening. And... You know, you have a series of modern dramas and low quality, but 
you know, very fun IP based fantasy dramas. There is a lot that comes out before this, like Nirvana and Fire and other shows that are just so good. Um, but again, a, a lower budget because even though these are independent studios, they are funded. Um, so they have to make sure that the money is being used correctly for the best reasons, right? Um, and CGI wasn't at the best quality back then in general, even considering our advances now. So mm-hmm. um This is all to preface that um, what happened is there was a little drama called Sort of Legends that came out of Xiaoxing Studios. Uh, And Xiaoxing Studios was started in 2012 by Yang Mi, who is now probably one of the richest women in China. Oh my God, I Um, love her so much. (laughs) She is also the lead actress of my favorite Xiaoxia, and then we'll get into that in a second here. But she started this studio with a stable of actors and managers, and um, they're not the most loved studio. I was just going to say that, like preface it, so if anybody coming here tries to educate me about that, I I understand that they have a history. But um, Um, They started from pretty much nothing. They became popular with um, a very very good drama based on a video game. Um, And they were using their own money to bolster the company when they decided to pick up the IP of Three Lives, Three Worlds, The Pillow Book. Oh, no, The Pillow Book. Uh, I've been Eternal Love. Uh, (laughs) Eternal Love, but um, 10 Miles of Peach Blossoms. 10 Miles of Peach Blossoms, yeah. yeah. So um, I've put in a little diagram here about how they were investing their own money um, right before they aired sort of legends. And then in June 2017, they announced that they had secured $36.8 million of new shares Mm -hmm. and signed a deal with Disney. And was and were capitalized at seven hundred seven hundred million dollars U.S. So they went big, and the mm-hmm. reason for that was ten miles of peach blossoms, yeah. um, fifty billion views during airing. We don't oh, know what that number is now. Fifty billion <laughs> during airing? Yes, I I was wrong. Oh, <laughs> by an entire zero. An entire zero. Yes. Yeah. I mean, when we consider that um, most of like the most popular TV shows of all time over the entirety of their air date got hundreds of millions of views, this is insane numbers. Now, is it real or not? I don't know. I don't care. The most <laughs> the most important thing is that this was a cultural phenomenon that set off a new chain of events in regards to the production of Chinese dramas and the availability of stuff. And because it like set a precedent, what followed was really interesting. And I have a slide here that makes my head hurt every time I look at it. I apologize for putting it in front of you. I don't expect to read this out loud or you read it. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, please make it big because I am embarrassed by it. Um, (laughs) I went personally through my history of Jean Show because I started in 2019. Yeah, early, early 2019. And um, what I watched- Did I drag you in? You did, yeah. And you also dragged me into watching Meteor Garden. It was like, immediately me? After. Yeah, of course. What? You made a hundred tweet thread about Meteor Garden. <laughs> oh, God, I funny. forced you to watch Meteor Garden. Yeah. That was my first modern sea drama besides maybe oh my Love God, I'm O2O, so sorry. which regret, regrets. Anyway, oh, so, O2O. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> We have lots of fun stories about stuff I'm we've so watched. mean. If I if I like want somebody to watch something, I'll just bully them until they do on the internet. You do it in my DMs every day. <laughs> but I do that I do it the same to you. I did but tweet you... this to you. I was like fairy yeah. and devil. Let's do this. It's yeah. Dylan. <laughs> and and you're like, uh maybe <laughs> 
ah, maybe I'll take a look and then like down the rabbit hole. Okay, great. Yeah. No, and so, do the recap of your of your drama life. Well, this is actually this is a you know it's from my perspective. What I wanted to like do as a caveat here is that there is a lot of other genre and a lot mm-hmm. of other things within the Chinese fantasy subgenre, but. I have watched these specific dramas or at least have a cursory understanding of them. So I've included them here and in a way to sort of frame out the historical progression of dramas. And what's most important is that the popularity of 10 Miles of Peach Blossoms led to a boom in studios being opened, um, new production starting, a lot of um, Mm -hmm. excitement around what this genre could produce. And of course, it was happening very quickly. There wasn't a lot of, there was a lot of IP bring, being bought. There was a lot of announcements, cast announcements, um, you know, because everything is shot mostly at Hung Dian Studios, a lot of like, you know, you'd get a lot of production behind the scenes of stuff. And unfortunately, a lot of that stuff never saw the light of day. And there's a couple of reasons for this. The first and foremost reason is in that 2019, because of the 70th anniversary of the PRC, the Chinese government put a lockdown on historical dramas being aired um, until uh, after a specific period, which was not actually laid out very well. And so a bunch of stuff actually ended up in cans, on shelves, and never saw the light of day. Mm -hmm. And this is not to say that we didn't have popular dramas before that. We had, um, after 10 Miles of Peach Blossoms, we had Ashes of Love, which was, you know, obviously a a very good gateway genre for a lot of people. 2019, we had Love and Destiny, which was set in (laughs) one of my favorites and very underrated. Um, a yep. beautiful, uh, you know, idol cast of people set in the same world as Three Lives, Three Worlds, um, but as a new and 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 non IP story that was written specifically for mm-hmm. it. We also had The Untamed, which had huge international popularity. It basically pushed the idea that we should have more queer romance stories in general, and it really, like, literally set off a spark not only in um, you know, uh, Chinese markets, but also in, outside of those specifically. We have, like, I've seen a lot of wonderful art authors that I follow on Twitter, you know, they're reading uh, the, the the translated novelizations mm-hmm. of these books now because they are so popular. They are now on the shelves of U.S. Uh, bookstores, which is great. Um, and it was, a, it was a very low budget drama that they, everybody thought would fail, but it worked out. Um, I also included a couple of stinkers in here. <laughs> the legends and legend of white snake legend the legends is good as an example because it is actually the same author as yep. Love between fairy and, and there was a lot of concern that this would get <laughs> there was messed up for the right reasons. yeah although although the actors in that are amazing the show was not done well and it was just poor overall um joy of life i've included in here too because it's another um very 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 popular in china a uh, science fiction based oh, Chinese fun. fantasy uh, that nobody really knows about over here. And I want people to know about it. Anyway, 2020 um, was when the pandemic started, of course. It started early in China in, the, in late 2019. So things got put on a, a cap with that. But we did have a good year for dramas. We had Eternal Love of Dream, which was the sequel to Eternal Love, of course, but not really the sequel. It's the sequel based off the book sequel. Uh, so people were confused and upset by that. I understand your pain. I love, this is my favorite drama of all time. And I love it and will defend it with my life. Um, just saying that. But 
We've thought about covering it. <laughs> I know, but it's so hard to get people to like it because it doesn't, <laughs> doesn't fit their expectations. When you have the secondary couple at Eternal Love separated, uh, you want to continue that story in the Eternal Love universe, not the I'm going back to the book source and doing it right universe, which is what they did. So we I also don't know. Have- I, I love the matchmaking. <laughs> That how ha- it's great. I I love it. Uh, I understand the differences, so I I, I jived with it. Yeah, love and redemption. Um, one of our personal faves. I think this is the most comparable genre show that we have to Love Between Fairy and Devil. Not only for content and heart, but also because it was such a sleeper hit. Yeah, like I don't think anybody believed in it. I think people were pretty like burnt out on some of the lower quality productions that were being released at that time and thought that it was just going to be another one of those. And I watched the excitement build for it in real time. And it was Mm -hmm. so nice to see because it is such a beautiful drama that has this whole like very long involved, uh, you know, like it ends up becoming very enemies to lovers, but there's such progression before it that it really feels emotionally resonant by the time that you get to that point. Um, But it is very long, just like the other ones. So, (laughs) Um, And then we had Word of Honor, which was another um, BL content um, that was also Mm -hmm. extremely popular. I think all of the fans of The Untamed went on to that one. I'm very proud of that uh, push and shift towards that. Um, And and again, an incredible story, although not a genre. Particularly, it kind of falls in a weird genre mix of mostly wuxia into some of the mystery stuff. We'll get Mm -hmm. into genre later. Um, And then 2021, last year, we started to get a little bit more content after all of the pandemic happening. Ancient Love Poetry, my one of my personal favorites, but nobody knows about. (laughs) (laughs) I've watched a solid 10 episodes. That's okay. It takes 17 episodes to get to the actual story. It's just prequel before that. Um, But it is. I will probably pick it up eventually. But again. Yeah, I read the novel through Google Translate because there's no official translation. That was how down bad I was. Um, We also had uh, Novaland Pearl Eclipse. The uh, The Novaland series is a very famous series in China based on, again, web novels. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have quite a few dramas before this one. They're but all this one was the same like, world, Same right? universe. Yeah, yeah, same universe. Okay. And it is low fantasy. It is not a genre in the sense that you will see gods and stuff like that or people in heaven. It's uh, about real historical, well, quasi-historical. It's set in a different world, right? Novaland, mm-hmm. um, where the political actions and the conspiracies and things that happen within like an imperial or palace setting are affected by the magical flavor of the world. And this one starred um, Yegmi and William Chan, and it's an incredible drama. I highly suggest watching it. One of my favorites. Um, I won't go into all of these dramas. I apologize. I, I have to talk about <laughs> Miss the Dragon, though, briefly. We do have to talk about Miss the Dragon, for can sure. I do that? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Dylan is a dragon in this. So this was, so he had done one other sort of fantasy type show. He had done uh, Evernight 2 uh, mm-hmm. briefly before that. That didn't land very well with most audiences for a variety I think people of were, reasons. Yeah, there's several reasons for it, including the fact that I think that they enjoyed the chemistry of the leads in the first one, for in sure. The, in, the, in the, yeah, but... Yeah. Miss the Dragon is just this really charming and beautiful story where you fall in love with the main leads and also the secondary leads. Yes. And Dylan really cut his teeth in Janja finally in this one. 
Yeah. I feel like. I it's Miss the Dragon is very unloved, I will say. Um really? I understand. I will I will under I understand why. There it's the ending is pretty messy. The mortal Absolutely. arcs the, the mortal arcs are just because they have like more than one mortal arc, they have like several, it gets very tiring to watch. Yeah. Uh, he, basically he's a dragon that's in love with a woman that needs to be like, go through like mortal arcs Trials. multiple yeah. times. Yeah. And she decides in some that she's not going to forget him and some that she does. It's very taxing on the brain and the, it doesn't follow the emotional beats that you really want, but the side stories are great. There's a Lord of the underworlds and a little bird fairy romance. That's adorable. And I really yeah. love love um highly recommend if you want to see dylan in a white wig pretend to be a dragon it's good for that at least it is Um, no okay (laughs) my bar for dylan is very low we've watched meteor garden and he's not a bad actor it's just that you watched you know 60 episodes yeah i did filler basically yeah yeah they 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 did almost every single plot from the original manga in, <laughs> in Meteor lot. Garden. So yeah, it was yeah. a lot. Um, and we move on to 2022 Immortal Samsara. It just came out uh, recently. Yeah, I, the Blue I've Whisper. watched the first few episodes of that. Um, I might continue. We'll see. Um, Avenue X does not like it. So I'm kind of going with that. But Blue Whisper. Solid. Um, solid. Absolutely so good. solid. And again, not a genre. Because they don't go up to heaven, but they do have a lot of magical elements. It's about a merman and a demon tamer who has mm-hmm. to tame him for her uh, clan. It's it's, but it has a lot more plot than that, and it's just really really good. There's they actually had to I mean, split I, it into two parts. I think it technically counts as genre genre because the king of heaven is involved. That is true. Yeah. You know, so I I and his sister. So I I do think it is count it does count. Yeah, it's hard to fall. We're not going to make the genre restrictions. Uh, yeah. Nobody needs to do that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and then of course we get here to love between fairy and devil, which is our third quarter sleeper hit that everybody seems to really like. And uh, yeah, we'll get into before we get into the actual. Uh, meat of the genre, uh, we do have to explain what we're talking about because I'm sure there are people who are like, what? <laughs> um, so first yeah. and foremost, Chinese fantasy novel genres. And this is not a comprehensive no. report of what this is. Because when we're talking about dramas, we're talking about something completely different of an animal than we are the novel, the not yeah, the novel community, right? So serial web novels are the standard for like for publishing in China. Basically, what that means is that you can just go on to an author's website and read all of their work up to a certain point and subscribe if you want the latest releases. This is a really for a very small amount of money, too. This is like taking, you know, your fanfic and being like, okay, if you want the newest chapter, just give me like 80 cents or something, right? Mm-hmm. And if you have enough people, which they do, you can make a, a decent amount of money on that. You have a publisher house of course that you know prompts you to write and does your editing and make sure you release stuff but in terms of the model you have a lot more freedom as a writer you can do whatever you want and sometimes that's the good effect sometimes that's bad chinese novels tend to go very very long especially the most popular ones Uh, nirvana and fire and joy of life are perfect examples i think like the texts on those were just ginormous um but you know people are invested in these stories and they get them at a regular interval and then when they're completed They get picked up because they're so popular and they get turned into dramas. And that's where you get into the whole thing around how can you adapt something that large and that interesting um, into. But so 
we begin. So this is a very basic, basic, basic white person <laughs> explanation of what Chinese fantasy novel genres are. We start with wuxia. Wuxia is the most familiar term to anybody outside of China in regards to the fact that we have wuxia movies. Um, literally means martial heroes. It's just martial arts heroes. Um, but that can mean a lot of things in regards to the fact that you could have a historical dra like drama like Nirvana and Fire where you know, these people are basically magical in the sense that their martial arts is so good they can fly through the air. You mm -hmm. know, that wire work is not meant to represent that, like, they have, you know, they're, they're basically superheroes. They have yeah. superhuman abilities because of their advancement in the martial arts that they studied or their, you know, quote-unquote cultivation, their chi. Um, and that, you know, feeds into this idea of that leading into more, magical things that might happen as you go through into what I would call low fantasy, which is Schwan Han. It's just a re relatively new genre, actually. And the best example of this is The Untamed. So The Untamed has magical fantasy supernatural elements. It's got the undead. It's got spirits and ghosts. It's got demonic cultivation. But it doesn't have the gods. It doesn't have, you know, you know your heavenly deities coming down to earth and going, hey, you know, you might not want to study that practice of magic. <laughs> so, and it's because uh, what the, the reasoning for this genre being separate is because it is actually influenced more by Western fantasy than by Chinese fantasy. Mm. There is a lot more of that. Um, but it does, you know, just translate to mysterious fantasy. So it leaves a, the door open for a lot of different interpretations of what that is. Um, and like I said, it's a relatively new genre categorization. So a lot of things could fall into this. They couldn't. But um, it kind of just stands in for what we consider low fantasy. Um, you, what, what's missing in uh, Xuan Huan is Taoist elements. And when we talk about Taoist elements, we talk about cultivating into immortality. Um, that immortality isn't just living forever. It's actually ascending to a level of godhood where you can actually be a supernatural magical being. And that's where we get to Zhangsha. High fantasy. Zhangsha translates to immortal heroes. Uh, so Zhang is immortal. Zha is uh, basically the, the heroic way, the chivalrous way, of, of which is also the Sha and Wu Sha, of course. Um, so they're fictional stories featuring demons, ghosts, immortals, and mm -hmm. they're all based in deeply in Chinese folklore and mythology. So the protagonists are attempting to cultivate to immortality, or if they are already immortal, to a higher level of being. Um, they're seeking eternal life and maybe the greatest power in the universe. And of course, they are doing this within a Taoist framework with Buddhist elements as well. And of course, the Confucianism framework that we expect from <laughs> you know, Chinese cultural media in general. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And then, you know, these go primarily through earthly matters, but, you know, with Wuja, and it, it sort of expands into more other realms mm -hmm. in as you go up, you might deal with hell a little bit with or, or like demons a little bit with the sort of mid fantasy area. Of course. Yeah. Yeah. So I have included Novaland in there. I also included Fight Break Sphere, so you can see your your boy. Um, <laughs> I can only see him as a child in Nirvana and Fire. It's so funny. It can romantic lead. No, he's 
<laughs> he's my special little boy. Um, you know, I did watch that supercut that you sent me. Yeah. Of him yeah. being a baby. Yeah. <laughs> um, I also put uh, Condor Heroes on here uh, in the Wuxia genre because that is, of course, one of the most famous and most uh, beloved properties in China. But yes, as we go up, we go into a different realm of existence that is more mm -hmm. focused and centered on these non-mortal, non-human, not grounded in the uh, the dust, as we they would say. Um, it, it becomes stories that are more above all of that. So we're going to go to heaven. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. We're going to get out of this world. Let's talk about Janja. Finally, yeah. I guess. Yeah, that was a big intro. We have been talking about Janja. This yeah. is part of the introduction. Um, and I, I want to preface that, of course, this is not about genre as the entire genre. This is about romance, drama, genre, uh, and specifically in the last few years, the, the the heavy hitters of that genre that have really established the scene for us to be able to experience love between fairy and devil. Exactly. Yeah. So, of course, this is a genre of Chinese fantasy, heavily inspired by Taoism, influenced by mythology, Buddhism. Martial arts, of course, takes a lot from Wuxia, uh, traditional Chinese medicine, folk religion, alchemy, and other elements, like everything in the kitchen sink. You can do whatever you want in a genre universe as long as it involves immortals. And it is based on historical texts in regards to written down examples of the genre, like the immortal beings in Chinese history. Um, there's lots of different things that you can look at for kind of a framework for that. Um, the, the, the name is escaping me, but think of like Neja or like other stories that are kind of come out of that folklore and mythological tradition. Um, so most of the, I would say, femme-centered romance dramas that have come out in the last couple of years, again, they're not dealing with these people that are seeking spiritual purity and enlightenment in order to ascend to, you know, live on Mount Kunlun with a bunch of other spiritual aesthetics. It's about immortal beings who are struggling with being immortal beings uh, and maybe through that struggle cultivate and ascend to higher levels of immortality. And um, love and resolving the complications of love is usually involved in that because of... It's hand in hand. Yeah, yeah, it's hand in hand. Yeah. Love brings suffering and suffering is what brings us to enlightenment. So. <laughs> Let's talk about leveling up. Yep. Leveling up. I, I, I joke when I say it's just like leveling up in a video game. Cultivation <laughs> is a very complex topic and, a, you know, as its own kind of sense, like most... Chinese novels are cultivation novels. They're about a protagonist that starts at the beginning and works his way up from in martial arts or mm -hmm. to the study of spiritual practices into something Meditation, bigger. drinking the right tea, having Taking the right food. Pills. Yeah. Getting, uh, getting direct transfers of energy from someone who's super kind. It's just like, actually, you're really weak. I really wish you were more powerful. Yeah, I'm just going to sit behind you cross-legged while you sit in front of me cross-legged hunched over and I'm going to push my energy into your body in order to, you know, raise your chi or cure your chi if you got a chi devi deviation because you were like, you tried too much or you took the wrong pill or something like that. It's an, it's an incredibly intricate uh, magical system that I will not attempt to explain and you should just take it as is when you see it happening on screen. It's a different kind of magic. Just and be like, good. yes, this this works. 
Yeah, there is typically a core. I included the, of course, golden core from the Untamed. Um, we all know what that <laughs> means. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it's usually represented as a glowing orb. Sometimes people will just take these out of themselves and try to give them to someone else or actually give them to someone else to keep them alive. Because this is, in a, in a sense, the, you know, the, the absolute... Uh, heart of your spiritual energy. Sometimes your soul depends mm. on what, you know, story we're talking about. Um, but it's the cultivated spiritual power. It lives within you. And yeah, it can be easily corrupted if you practice techniques that are quote unquote evil. And evil typically means, you know, they cause harm to other people. This is within a Buddhist mm-hmm. framework, right? Not a Christian framework. So anything that causes harm, um, anything that, uh, you know, is born of emotions that are, you know, violent or resentful uh, can lead to uh, unpure or evil spiritual cultivation. Um, and we'll get into that with our immortals in a bit. But I also think that it's important that cultivation takes, it goes through sort of a series of raises and uh, plateaus where mm-hmm. there's almost like gates where you have to pass them and that can involve a a trial um of some sort and sometimes that's just heaven is like and now you're powerful enough to receive these lightning strikes or you're you need to prove that you understand the mysteries of being a mortal not immortal a mortal a human and all of this suffering that mortals go through to transform kind of into the next level. Exactly. Yeah. Once you've set your power level high enough, you have to basically, you're going to be tested even more than anybody else. Right. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's sort of just the idea that like there's a cost to the power that you have now. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There is always a cost. (laughs) Yeah. All right. Let's talk about the realms. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So this is one of the things that I think I've personally found very confusing when first watching genre because they do tend to do, you know, quick cuts to different settings and they don't have like the sort of in, like interposition of like scenes that makes you understand the, I guess, the larger universe. Um, it's better now in certain shows, but it can be confusing to know what we mean by the different realms because there's at least three. Um, this Sometimes is, there's uh, more. There's more. Yeah. Um I also will explain immortals, and I will try to touch upon reincarnation a little bit for us today, too. Um, yeah. Actually, both of us will. You're going to have to help me with this. but Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, let's, let's talk about realms. Um, okay. I absolutely love that it there's like, that's one thing that I really love about genres is that at least there's three, and sometimes there's more, mm-hmm. where you don't know the whole story like me as a human living on the world don't know the whole story of what all is out there and that there's an entire like immortal race of beings and I'm I'm just this little piddly mortal that can't really do anything I love that yeah my favorite like iteration of that is like when 
people are fighting in heaven and the fallout from their magical energy will start destroying things in the mortal realm. Yeah. Like a city will blow up with a meteor and fire raining down from the sky just because two guys are clashing swords up in the clouds. Yeah. That kind of like the downward trickle effects or like of these realms upon the mortal realm and the fact that these people are supposed to, or not these people, these immortals are supposed to be the people watching over them um, yeah. and keeping that stuff from happening. That's kind of the, like the, the balance that they have to strike. That's why there is is a deity realm mm-hmm. they're meant to manage mortal affairs um and to become them sometimes of mm-hmm. course too um yeah deity and immortal here are separate just because immortal in the sense of the genre usually stands for people that have cultivated to immortality so they're not going to go live in heaven they're going to live in these spiritually rich places like kunlun mountain mm-hmm. um in order to kind of maintain their power um eventually they might ascend to heaven they'll be like you know there's usually what they'll have is like they'll have like a little trial or test or they'll be allowed in at some point or picked by a specific god to become a fairy you know like that's that happens quite a bit but um in general there's a little bit of separation between that it's not something that you have to really care about whenever you see heaven you see heaven whenever you see people that are immortal like having a little space uh, that, you know, yeah, we're not going to differentiate a lot. Same with spirit realm. It can be like an extension of heaven. It could just be someplace like Ching Chu, which is where, you know, the setting of eternal love, where it's like where the fox, the nine-tailed foxes live. Yeah, it's literally um, like Green Hill. or Green like, Hill, yeah. yeah. It's like a folklore land in yeah. Chinese mythology that's existed for, oh, forever, right? Yeah. Um, that becomes its own little place. It's like saying that you live in, what is that one green uh fiddler's green fiddler's green yeah you yeah. live in fiddler's green yeah <laughs> from uh from sandman, sandman. Yeah. yeah 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 we also have of course the mortal arc which i note here is a nice place for a trial or a vacation sometimes yeah. they just go down there just to check things out and and marvel and at the usually, wonders usually this is something that like some people have struggled with but in most shanjas there's a time difference between the mortal realm and the immortal realm. The yep. immortal realm. So like 60 years on earth might just be 60 minutes up top yeah. or vice versa. I never yeah. get it right. Sometimes it's like uh, an hour is a year. Yes. Is, in is the mortal realm. Yeah. M- most commonly an hour is a year. So if you're going to go through a month up in the immortal realm, it's going to be a person's lifetime. Exactly. Yeah. So you have to be really careful with that. Uh, Eternal love deals with that as a plot point. Yeah. Um, Of course. (laughs) Um, Demons. Demons. (laughs) My favorite. Yeah. It's not always demons. Sometimes it's just like a dark realm or the anti-deity realm. Yeah, we'll get into a little bit more explanation on the immortal, like the the explanation for what a demon is, Mm -hmm. but they're not demons in the Christian biblical sense. They're literally just monsters. They're variations on, Mm -hmm. they're not heavenly. They're just not, you know, and, you know, they're typically dressed up all in black and they have like horns or some like interesting Mm -hmm. features that make them seem a little bit scarier, quote unquote, but they're just normal people. They just like, you know, they're gods. People are prejudiced against them because they look scary. 
Exactly. Yeah. So um, there's also devils and we'll get into that, but, uh, and they can be sort of like mixed up, but uh, the next realm that I really want to talk about is the ghost realm. Mm -hmm. Um, This could mean a few things in terms of genre, but typically what it means is the underworld. And so when you die and you're awaiting reincarnation, you will always go to typically always go to the underworld in order to await being reborn, right? And if you have a problem with being reborn because of resentment or you're being punished, you might just stick around there as a ghost for a while. It's, it happens. Um, sometimes people just dissipate or they just never mm-hmm. make it out of there. Um, so, and it can appear in many different forms, but there's a huge mythology around the uh, underworld in Chinese culture There's, and, and uh, it, actually it's Buddhism very comparable and, to greek underworlds it is like there's a so. there's Rivers. a river of memory where you can lose your memory if you fall into it kind of mm-hmm. like the river river sticks river, the lithe river like uh there's a god of the underworld usually uh <laughs> There's a lot of similarities, which kind of says that it might be more archetypical than we think. Yeah, there's probably a lot of cultural trend, like uh, crossover mm-hmm. there, I believe. I think people always assume that there's a lot of differences when there's much more universality. Yeah. All right. Let's talk about these realms just ever so briefly with a nice slide. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Heaven, deity realm sucks. Yeah. I'm just going to preface it. It's just, it sucks. Like... The, in any genre, it's always too many roles. <laughs> in, yeah. in Ashes of Love, they had no real flowers; they were all fake flowers, <laughs> like imaginary oh, yeah. fla- flowers made out of clouds. Because everything was kind of faux and fake in yeah. Ashes of Love. It's an incredibly boring place, mm-hmm. and I, you know this kind of comes down to the way that the world is constructed in general, not just in terms of being this patriarchal paternalistic system, which we'll get into, but the fact that like in order for you to ascend to this level, you have to practice spiritual asceticism and yeah. purity, and you have to deny yourself love, and you have to deny yourself all the things that make life interesting. The demons down below drinking and having their lady dances are not experiencing that kind of boredom. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. So, you know, it's a little bit of a hedonism versus a, um, this is your parents' Sunday night dinner yeah. kind of situation. So, yeah. The the immortal in spirit realm is always like uh, playful. I, mm-hmm. I always get that vibe from from the, the spirit realms, especially, or like the flower realms or the, you know, this these are natural, like where uh, people who have either uh, cultivated or have ascended from animals or mm-hmm. plants, plants tend to hang out. And it's always kind of just like beautiful joy. Yeah, there's always a sense of whimsy and childlike yeah. nostalgia to it, which is it goes in hand in hand with like the way that the storytelling structure is because a lot of the stories begin here. But it's also like, you know, a place of purity and innocence. These people are never going to become gods, typically. They're just mm-hmm. going to do their daily things living in paradise. And uh, so this is the fairyland um, mm-hmm. of of Chinese fantasy. And, and where they translate like fairy from. Yeah. Right. Which yeah. is kind of like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, and it's it's sort of like nature spirit or nature immortal in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, the mortal realm, which is our world, which it roughly looks like, 
old That old is China. actually Hangdian Studios because that is where every single yeah. mortal arc is shot. So I just had to put an in joke there and put actual modern day China in there. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, just bear with me there because like if you've watched enough Chinese dramas, you've seen the same locations a million, hundred million times because they're not going to rebuild these really expensive, beautiful historic sets or use actual historic buildings. There is just a very, 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 very large studio where almost all of the drama productions are shot. So, <laughs> uh, you know, and I, uh, I absolutely think that one of my favorite things about genres in the fact that we get to travel and kind of see different things mm-hmm. really, really like it just it absolutely makes everything like super fun and enjoyable it it really does make the stories themselves have a layer of moving between uh different phases of self-exploration especially and we get a certain amount of how the characters react and move to uh, different different situations when they're faced with uh, alternative people and alternative situations. All right, moving on. We also have our heavenly deities. These uh, deities are based in the uh, Taoist pantheon and are mythological fi- figures. We have... Uh, Heavenly emperors, who are usually the head of the deities, sometimes they are considered to be like the highest god. Sometimes they aren't. Sometimes they're just sort of like the house manager for heaven. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes they're elected um, or just based on who's the most powerful. They're usually not the most powerful, though. No. Um, They're usually just like a dad figure or you know an older brother figure um may i speak with the manager of heaven please (laughs) yes exactly they do set all the rules so even if there are more powerful beings they usually have to you know go with whatever they say um it's based on historical figure the jade emperor which Mm -hmm. was believed to be the you know key point of heaven but yeah he's He's a jerk, usually, in every single one of these. He's an antagonist. Uh, I could have included a picture of one of these, but it would be a spoiler for one of the genres, so I didn't. Uh, You'll find (laughs) that sometimes the Heavenly Emperor himself might just be right in front of you, and you just didn't know it. So, um, But yeah, uh, I've included him. I've also included Siming, and uh, Siming is, of course, our favorite god of fate. Do you, yeah. you 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 know a lot about yeah. Siming yeah. is the is the writer of like basically mortal destiny and sometimes yes. immortal destiny, um, but it kind of depends on the story. Most likely, it's just mortals that they can write the fate of, and they're responsible for. <laughs> uh, setting the path of the person's life. They also are responsible for um, when an immortal chooses to like or goes on a mortal trial and they also have to set that course (laughs) of flow as well they get to write the immortals mortal arcs for them and so uh yeah usually portrayed as um fastidious writer types that have ideals of romance and life but have never actually lived them yeah um which is funny because this uh love between fairy and devil has a very 
interesting new version. I put a little heart next to her. Yeah, we, we got a lady. I got a lady swimming. She's part of the canon of the author's world, and apparently, we'll be getting her own story. So, oh my god, um, <laughs> yeah. I'm loving this. So they basically uh, played it well in the show that you're going to watch or have watched already, they played at her specific romance um, and actually showed her romantic interest and will possibly be getting a drama with that actress and, of course, that actor uh, to play their roles. Um, but, yeah, she's it's, it's nice to see this version of Simming. And, in fact, in the novelization of the show, uh, which is completely different, uh, there's a mistake that... <laughs> Uh, <laughs> okay. Dong, uh, Xing Shang actually makes quite a bit. He thinks Simeng is a guy and it gets jealous. Um, but it's actually because uh, our main girl character is her servant, yeah. so always talks about her. Um, but you know, and then realizes it, later on that yeah. she was a woman. Yeah, utilizing the wonderful uh, the fact that Mandarin does not have pronouns. So um, yes, <laughs> but then then we have our usual boys who are usually our male main leads we have to talk about gods of war yeah because it typically is the the main lead is some sort of sad boy who does not want to be or (laughs) doesn't realize they don't want to be the god of war yeah usually the fact that i can include like every single every single shansha drama uh here with the god of war uh is it's pretty telling, you know, obviously. They, they're they sad. They've had to put aside their love for duty. Um, they have to learn how to be human again. Um, all of my favorite examples, and unfortunately. <laughs> but they all become different people by the end of the story, mm-hmm. and that's what the most important part is, right? Um, and yeah. on Heavenly Deities, there's other ones that we haven't really touched upon. A lot of them Sometimes are because- there's like elemental ones like god of thunder god of lightning yep. um you know god of whatever yeah. yeah and typically the god of war position is a position it's yeah. not actually a, a god of war like they have some other like specialty or <laughs> history i mean in like, the first uh, two with um you know ashes of love and eternal love like those two were the, also the princes of the realm too right exactly so, so the, it yeah. was like something that they took on kind of as part of being the princes of the realm. Yeah. And our main lead in um, love and destiny is the God of thunder and also the God of mm-hmm. war. Um, or was that our lead in? Yeah. <laughs> Eternal love poetry. Who knows? Um, no, I was kidding. Um, but yeah, I, I, I really enjoy the fact that Mo- John is basically just like our Western audience, like writers using Greek mythology or Egyptian or Norse mm-hmm. or whatever you want. And just taking the character archetypes and basically playing around with them without restrictions. Yeah. So and not nice not see. having to make that Thor or not having to make that Zeus. They can yeah. like insert new character name as that character. Mm-hmm. And then play with the sort of setup that this this character has a is is heavily involved with violence and they need something else in their life to make them whole. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. fairies and spirits. Woo, I'm so excited for this. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's the most important part, really. I mean, why would we have a show called Love Between Fairy and Devil if we didn't have yeah. fairies? Yeah. And that's a, the, another thing that always confuses people when they first get into this is like, oh, you mean fairies? And you're like, no. 
You can t- kind of think of him as Faye. Yeah. Um, but like the nice Faye. Um, but yeah, it's just the the word is just the translation of Jean, which is of course the Jean and Jean Um Almost all of the female protagonists starts out start out as fairies. Like they're like lesser immortals. Um, mm-hmm. They can be like Jinmi from Ashes of Love is a great fairy. No, um, no spoilers. Okay, but no. you know, <laughs> they 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 um, they're usually you know associated with spirits. Uh, they're all of their friends are f- like trees or beasts foxes or, whatever. or yeah yeah. Um, they can also, they don't always, fairies don't have to be like good all the time either. They can obviously be very bad fairies if they, you know, become demonic or possessed. I, I included our purple fox from Love and the Redemption because she starts out as a true monster in the tradition of nine-tailed foxes. Yes. Nine-tailed foxes were never a good thing uh, in Chinese mythology. Yeah. Um, Eternal Love was fanfic of that, creating nice nine-tailed foxes but they were you know seductresses they ruined kingdoms especially like the romance of the four kingdoms basically starts that way um so yeah like a lot of these spirits are associated with like you know taking advantage of humans and or tricking them and you know coming and wrecking their worlds legend of white snake is there too mm-hmm. uh, and another honorary mention a drama that a lot of people like and i, I just haven't watched yet um a yep. very, very famous mythological structure. Conversely, we have deities forms. <laughs> so deities can also have spiritual forms, which uh, could be animals or mythical beasts, phoenixes, yes. dragons, could also just be straight up animals of some sort. Um, phoenixes often, if they're underpowered or they've used up all their power, will turn into um you know, some sort of bird-like looking thing. Uh, yeah, I put, I put like pathetic looking thing she there from yeah. Love and Destiny. She's a little sad chicken. Chicken, yeah. <laughs> uh, I love in Eternal Love uh, that he, when he's like, he's taken too much of a hit, he turns into a little tiny black snake mm-hmm. and she takes care of him. It's great. Um, but then conversely, you also have spiritual beasts, which are also immortal, uh, but are like mythical animals <laughs> yeah. that have, can also turn into humans um, and are usually like the mount or best buddy. Yeah. And often both. Like that's yeah. also really important. There's your emotional support animals for your deities. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, yeah. I really, I really love, um, I could not find a picture of a tongue a tongue dragon for tongue but like they're flying snakes. They're like a lesser form of dragon. So like I put middle tier, middle grade yeah. fantasy animals. So like every high god usually has like a like yeah, a little animal servant to follow them around. You'll notice very often if you see a servant in a like of a of a main character in a drama even if they don't ever show their, their CGI animal form because the, maybe the budget doesn't include it, they will reference them as being something. Um, mm-hmm. Like uh, Wuji Chi is a great example. Like he's the last in my slide. He's a, the monkey. Uh, he only turns into a monkey by them putting a lot of facial hair on him. At yeah. Some point. <laughs> uh, but he's a he's a very good character as well. Yeah. But yeah, they're they're very loyal. They represent their animals really well. They have the same quirks, um, and they're just a fun addition to the story in terms of accessory yeah. characters. There to provide again emotional support. 
Yeah. Emotional support, spiritual peace. <laughs> uh, demons, devils, and ghosts. Okay, That's let's talk complicated about... complicated Yeah, it's complicated because they're, they're considered to be evil, right? And, and will most likely do evil things throughout the show. Mm-hmm. But not all of them are evil. Yeah. And they also have typically like the straight up... They're just devils and demons because they have the reputation of being that. Yeah, there there is an element of these people are prejudiced against by heaven. Like they're usually the, you know, they're the antagonist to heaven. But if heaven's the antagonist, you know, is the enemy of my enemy, my friend. Yeah. <laughs> Which is usually how it goes. And also, <laughs> as we talked about before, heaven straight up sucks. So yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe these guys aren't so bad. Yeah, exactly. it kind of depends on the story, right? Like exactly, the story could say, you know, this this demon actually is just trying to get by in the world, and the world has prejudiced against them, and so they end up doing bad things just to survive. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I would think of the comparison of like elves and orcs as separate from Tolkien, but maybe like in D and D, where elves and orcs exist in society, and maybe some of the uh, orcs are uh, are just you know they just, just trying to get through the day. They're just trying to get through the day. Yeah. But yeah, um, so the there's two different words that are commonly thrown around and mistranslated. Um, but the first one, demon or yao, actually just means monster. So like huliao, mm-hmm. like a fox monster, was a nine-tailed fox for a long time. Um, they're, they have their own social and cultural hierarchies within Jansha, so they typically have their own emperor and their own war god um, or war um, person, I should say, because you know they're not technically uh, deities. But um, they, the word also can mean strange, weird, supernatural, beautiful, bewitching, enchanting. Um, that comes from the whole history of, you know, fox, you know, demons uh, seducing emperors. But, uh, yeah, they're usually portrayed as just really uh, hedonistic goths who have <laughs> problems with authority, which I am drawn to myself yeah. being an anarchist. So, <laughs> And, and there, there also is usually at least one himbo amongst them. I've put my himbos on this page. Please, please check out my PowerPoint because I've put Yan Chi Wu, which is from he's <laughs> from Eternal Love of Dream. He's the best, and he is the himboist uh, demon lord ever to demon lord. Um, he is dumb as a rock and just wants to fight things and is just no, the, and also the, Wu, the love of his life. Yeah, he just is a, like a he has a very romantic streak and he just doesn't know how to quit. So, um, and of yeah. course. Uh, Zhang Binbin's character from Eternal Love. Uh, Zhang Binbin will be starring in a drama with Esther Yu, so we need to watch that. Oh, yeah. yeah. Let's go. Uh, but yeah, and to to go into like contrast devils mm-hmm. or mo, and you know, no, you know the mo from Modao Zushi, which is the untamed. Um, mo, of course, means like devilish. Uh, they're mm-hmm. basically just any creature uh, who has become a fiend by being corrupted through either demonic cultivation, cultivation or possession by evil spirits. They've gone down the wrong path of cultivation or been affected by a stronger, more powerful evil force and have become devils. Um, they're possessed or taken over by this and must either seek spiritual purification mm-hmm. uh, or go down an even darker path of self-destruction. And I think it's important to call it like with fairy and devil, 
we've talked about fairies. We understand where a fairy probably comes from for our fairy. But the devil is, this is entirely that he is so powerful because of the power that he wields. Yes. Yeah. And that is why he is considered to be a devil. He is not the devil. No, he is not the devil. He is not even really a devil. He's um, not even evil, really. No. He's just the leader of his society, which is, yeah. in the end, you have to make very hard decisions. Yeah, he uh, he's cultivated an air, an aura of author, like of of fear around him through mm-hmm. cruelty and acts of violence in order to make ensure his power because he does come from a culture that respects that as uh, what you'll find with the demon tribes typically uh, and kind of like case, klingons yeah they're like klingons they yeah. like to fight in order to establish dominance and in order to make ins- and they do have a little bit more of like that gender differentiation sometimes yeah. although there are great i did not include any of the great female demon examples but there's wonderful ones in ashes of love and eternal love oh yeah um, yeah Actually, you know, um, Love and Destiny has a whole tribe of them yeah. uh, that are associated with the female character. So, yeah, like there's it's important to note that, yeah, again, demons are not scary, evil creatures. They're just monstrous and they're just, you know, the opposite of heaven. And so yeah. they sometimes in order to accomplish their goals because they're at such a lower power level will you know resort to evil or ally with a larger evil force it's kind of like high school with preps and and goths yeah yeah a lot yeah some of them sometimes do a satanic ritual actually call an evil force and then you know things get out of hand and then heaven heaven has to come in but people from heaven can do that too they can they have done it many times because they're the main changes but um on a final note the sometimes the big bad is literally just the pure form of evil in the world incarnate or chaos that cannot be killed because you cannot destroy it. Yeah. You have to deal with it in a way that is not like putting all of your power on it against it. Yeah. And then I have a slide for mermaids just because. Let's talk about mermaids very briefly. We have to. We do. They deal with mermaids so interestingly. If it involves a wheelchair, you know it's going to take a while. Well, we have our, like, the, uh, like, these are the representations that I have not seen in Jeanja or other, like, fantasy sea dramas yet. We have uh, our Love and Destiny has our transgender mermaid. Yeah. Like, she actually decided her gender when she transitioned away from being a fish. And I think that's a beautiful thing. Um, also our mermaid in love and redemption who goes around in a wheelchair, uh, that's pretty cool too. Um, but I also included, of course, the blue whisper, yeah, (laughs) Alan Ren, just, you know, shirtless tied up as a mermaid is just adorable. Uh, great. And then man loses his tail. Yeah. Oh, so harsh, harsh, difficult. And and also sometimes mermen just look straight up like fish men. Sometimes, yeah. Well, I mean, the makeup was really great, but I, yeah, I, there's, there's <laughs> nothing there to appeal to me whatsoever. <laughs> All right. Uh, let's talk about reincarnation. Yeah. Yeah. Can you explain samsara to the working public? Oh, yeah. All right. So samsara is sort of, well, and it's from the, the Buddhist ideal, right? Where mm-hmm. you uh, go through 
your life and depending on how you have lived your life means that you will have another chance at that. And eventually, if you live your life good enough, you will ascend to no longer having to be reincarnated. Mm -hmm. You will just exist is like a fundamental thing about society mm -hmm. uh, or, or the universe. And um, the key, the key is, is that you go through sort of suffering in the world that you live in, in the one lifetime and that suffering and how well you handle it really is supposed to teach you lessons that you remember between when you're reincarnated. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's fun. Um, from like a metaphorical perspective, it's just supposed to tell you that you're never going to have, you're, you're never going to have, never not have new chances. Yeah. You will always have the opportunity to change or redeem yourself. Yeah. As long as you're not like reborn as a beetle because you're, <laughs> Here, being yeah. punished for something exactly yeah mm -hmm. yeah um so when you're dealing with reincarnation so you go through these cycles of samsara and uh eventually if you have done enough you get reincarnated and go to the higher realm mm -hmm. um also for immortals to really learn the lessons, especially if they were born immortal, which can t entirely happen in Janjas, you need to experience the pain and suffering of being mortal. It's also a way for you to regain a certain amount of power that you may have lost because of, I don't know, failing to do what you needed to do. <laughs> so you sometimes have to go and be a, live as a human for a little bit. Yeah. It's funny how like the the rules around what the mortal arc actually entails for immortals like builds like sometimes it's a way for them to actually just come back to life. Sometimes it's a way for them to, you know, regain lost spiritual power. Um, there's a lot of examples of it. And uh, but my theory also is that mortal arcs are especially appealing because they're cheaper to film. Yeah. Yeah. No, I <laughs> Generally. mean, totally fair. Yeah. Um, I also think that it gives them uh, and and in the genres that I've seen with mortal arcs, it gives them a chance to get it wrong. And then when they come back, they can fix it. Yeah, they're typically yeah. after they've gone through the mortal arc and understood what they've screwed up because they always screw up. Uh, even if people intervene, there's got to be some um, elements of suffering involved. Um yeah. They they come back and they are more reflective and more understanding of their position in the world. And they also are able to like put aside some of the uh, deep-seated ideas that they had while they were living mm -hmm. in this sort of you know static existence in wherever they were, especially heaven. Like you don't get the changes, so you end up over thousands of years following in love with your coworker. Then you go into the mortal arc for a little while, fall in love with somebody else, and you're like, oh, it's like a refresher I'm, yeah. I'm better now <laughs> yeah and it's a literal version of life death life mm -hmm. rebirth which we experience in uh, mythological story structure like the hero's journey the heroine's journey um and it gives a a a, a very literal version in janjas uh showing the life death life literally in the story 
Exactly. Yeah. yeah. You get like your, all of the emotional highs and lows of a life and, and, and usually yeah. a romance and then the decided heartbreak of yeah. the fact that you will die. And, and the metaphor gets to be literal for the sake mm-hmm. of the story, but in the end it doesn't have like a, a, a full end. And so yes. again, spoiler alert, everyone dies in Janja at least once, sometimes least more than once. once. <laughs> This is a thing that people like get freaked out about because, oh man, Whew, yeah. you know, you're not used to the fact that at some point your main character just might go through something in the They'll most likely the die. They'll most likely die. Yeah, there'll be points where they'll probably die several times. And depending on where they're at, you know, in terms of their cultivation or their status, you know, how they die and how they uh, come back is always a question that uh, is answered by the story itself. There's no mm-hmm. set rules for it, uh, but it's almost guaranteed that they will come back. It just depends on the mechanisms that the authors want to use. Do they want to punish the person that's left behind by time? Mm-hmm. Uh, do they want them to have a secret child while the other person is, you know, in the ether uh do they yeah. want the um do they want them in a coma for 10,000 years and they want the me- all memory them? loss so they don't remember the person yes. that they were before they died exactly yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah there is a cost to death of course mm-hmm. uh, but it is not the end and you know I've concluded some examples here but hopefully nothing spoiler literally I actually kept out a few pictures I just mostly wanted to show suffering because Jean Shaw is about suffering mm-hmm. and it's about the emotional like investment that you get the the, the tears and the pain and that you mm-hmm. feel for and there's these a lot people. of catharsis then mm-hmm. that's married with the uh, uh, like a resolution that feels earned earned yeah sure. yeah 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 and and death is not the end in these no. things that's key because that's key <laughs> we have and we we started with reincarnation mm-hmm. because like these these sort of um essences of the universe don't die it's yeah, really there's... hard to actually die in a genre yeah they usually call it like they'll say out loud they'll be like they're at the point where their spirit will dissipate their primordial Mm. spirit and i you know there are some shows uh ancient love poetry is one where the collection of that spirit is part of the thing also eternal love too Mm -hmm. you have to recollect the essence of this person through some very great uh, trial, task, uh, yeah. task, uh, magical yeah. objects, you, you know, help from other people. The quest is the, uh, the you know, the to refine your love. The person that was the most important to you yeah. is really an essential part of this, and and, and a, a driving point of the romance of it too. You love someone so much that you would devote tens of thousands of years to their re-existence. Exactly. And metaphorically, it's like there's a couple of things that that go on with that, which is like you fall in love with the same person in all of their incarnations, mm-hmm. right? It's so good. You're willing to fight for the relationship through all of the trials and the tribulations like it's good stuff it's good it's it it feels so good it's very satisfactory Mm -hmm. yeah even if you know what to expect (laughs) it still hits right in many different ways so 
All right. Are you ready? I feel like that's a really good time to transition, I think. Yeah, let's think? talk about it. Yes. Wow. Okay. This has been a lot uh, already. Uh, we know, but we're going to actually sorry. dig into uh, Love Between Fairy and Devil. Again, reminder we're not going to dig into spoiler spoilers. We're just going to do high level tone, high level tropes, things yes. like that, kind of setting expectations. This will still be useful for some people who are already watching the show. Um, because you'll start to notice stuff that we're going to call out and we'll be like, and when you come back, you'll be like, haha, I totally saw it. <laughs> yes. 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 Hopefully that this will just be a primer for people. Yeah. Um, and that, you know, giving you a little context and, um, also sharing sort of the, some of the stuff that we'll probably go deeper into in our next episodes, because we are people that are very, fixated on the mythological structure of these stories. And I have a lot of plans in regards to sort of doing these comparisons between other genre, but in terms of what we'll be talking about now, we're just going to focus on this story uh, while avoiding spoilers as much as possible. So, Tropes, 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 and genres, yeah. myth and archetypes, and happily ever after. Maybe I don't know. Try not to spoil anything. Well, you um, know, I don't think we would be sitting here talking about it in terms of being romance fans if there wasn't some element of happiness at the end. It's gonna say. Mm, yes. All right. Let's talk about this story. Yeah. So it's based on a very popular web novel, uh, which has since, of course, been adapted into an animated show, um, along along with the drama, of course. Actually, pretty much a very similar time they're being released. Mm-hmm. Um, the 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 cartoon or Donghua is actually based on the novel. I've read most of the novel. It is extremely different. Uh, in a kind of a fun way. I would say that if you wanted a different story, it, it's something that you could delve into. Uh, the beginning of the story opens up with uh, Xiao Lanhua, uh, our main female character, actually, because this is a body swap story, we'll get into that a little bit later, uh, roasting her own body and having to basically live inside of the male lead's body with him, operating his left side while he operates his right until she can get another body. And then she's in a corpse for a while. Then she's in another body. It's very different <laughs> from what we're getting in a drama. Trust me. Uh, so it was, signi- it was significantly rewritten for television um, by a first-time screenwriter, actually. Uh, kudos to her. She did an exceptional job. Um, she focused more on the romance, the secondary characters, and sort of, uh, you know, taking all of these genre expectations, but um, doing them in a way that uh, feels more natural and better paced and more interesting than I've seen in a long time. So, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, now that we talk about them, they're here, right? <laughs> yes, exactly. The fairy and the devil. Okay, so in, we'll just unpack these two characterizations real quick. What do you want to take, Marie Claire? I like my devil. So. Yes, of course. Although okay, I, can, I can't pronounce his name to save my life. Dong Fong Xing Sung. I'm not a very good pronunciator either. So you can sorry. deal with baby girl. You just call him DF, DFQC. 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 Let's call him DF. Yeah. DF. <laughs> that, no. <laughs> DTF. No, just kidding. Sorry. Um, all right. So, yeah. Um, Xiao Lanhua. And Xiao just means small. It's appended to names very often by people that are older or like in a mm-hmm. sort of like, you know, not condescending, but endearing way. Um, Lanhua means orchid. Um, 
she's an orchid fairy with a her root has been damaged during her cultivation from a plant into a hum, human form by her master spilling wine on it. Uh, so she lacks cultivation. She's the weakest fairy that you could possibly think of. She works for the goddess of fate, seeming who's a drunk, and it's the reason why she dropped her wine on her. Um, and she serves her, and her her duty is to repair the books of fate that Simon writes. And the books of fate in this drama iteration are leaves on a tree. It's a really beautiful. Uh, symbolic like gesture but she is yeah so she's a plant and she feel heals plants all day uh she has her little plant friends that she's helping find their human forms um she's helping them cultivate yeah yeah helping them cultivate she's very happy-go-lucky very silly in the beginning as with most jansha or even most c-drama female protagonists she starts out very silly and very bubbly um and over time changes from that core personality but doesn't lose her heart or her kindness and she's also incredibly clever and I know this is the writer not the character but the writer makes the character very self-aware very understanding of her situation not only as being a lesser person and super empathetic yeah yeah and she doesn't hold resentment for other people for acting the way that they do even if it's cruel you know and that's what leads her to actually being a perfect match for our devil our devil yes who uh okay once i'll try once uh dong fang ching chang sang uh it's pronounced like song right song like yeah i don't think it's it's not a hard c I tried. Somebody right. corrects me, but uh, they they suggested using his nickname, which was like Dai Dai Ching, Dai Jai, Dai Shang, yeah, mm-hmm. Dai Shang, which is what she calls him, which is hilarious. And also, she calls him like uh, Wooden Head too. Yeah, <laughs> big Wooden yeah, Head, big Wooden Head. But he is considered to be the most powerful immortal in the universe. Yeah, he basically is. Yeah, um, and he's the thing that people used to scare them like oh he'll come back and he'll he'll yeah. kill you he has severed his emotions uh off from himself he is not t- in touch with love in himself and he has a lot of daddy issues mainly because he killed his own father um there is a lot of kind of mythological stuff happening here in that mm-hmm. She is semi-goddess of spring. He's very much like the god of the underworld. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yes. like, it's very it's very archetypical. She seems super weak. He seems super powerful. But that is, there is more than meets the eye in these two. And he has been imprisoned for 30,000 years by mm-hmm. heaven. In fact... Heaven doesn't even admit that he's still alive because they fear him so much and they don't Mm -hmm. want anyone to know that he's still alive. Yes. I love that. Well, they know that there would be a riot, right? They would know that they'd be dealing with the moon tribe coming and trying to break out Mr. (laughs) Bad and Evil here. Yeah, exactly. Our moon supreme. Moon supreme. he, He cannot die, though. That's also really important is that he is now so powerful He's basically part of the fabric of the universe. Yeah. He cannot die. Not at all. Like, I mean, he can die, but you know how, like in terms of his his ability to like resurrect, it's a lot better than other people's. And also she can't really die either. 
but that's yeah. it for a different reason. That's for a different reason. Yeah. So um, they, they're kind of like, uh, again, archetypical parts of the universe. Yeah. They will always exist in some form or iteration and that's because they are mythological. So awesome. Mm-hmm. All right. Let's talk about the, sh- the setting. Yeah, I didn't include all of the names here. Netflix will translate them differently than IGE or even Vicky will. So, and you know, in terms of pronouncing like the actual terminology, we'll just avoid it entirely. Except for I can I can say Sangyanzi, like I can say Shui Yun Tian, which is of course a variation of heaven. Um, but our realms are really set out quite simply in terms of mm-hmm. the way that the story will follow. So that you know, you'll always know where you're at when it comes to this story, which is nice. Um, they're very beautifully done. The CGI is impressive, impeccable mm-hmm. beyond a level I've ever seen in a genre. Maybe Love and Destiny got that close, I yeah. think. Yeah. Um, they did a really good job of making it feel yeah. fantastical and awesome. Yeah. Ancient Love Poetry also had some beautiful heaven scenes, but they don't spend a lot of time in heaven, unfortunately. And so. it, it's, it's the typical heaven, uh, mortal realm... Uh, parts of heaven that are kind of controlled by other immortals or God, like Arbiter Hall or, or the God mm-hmm. of Fate. Um, you have the different kind of places in heaven. Uh, you have the kind of in-between battleground that is now kind of a wasteland. Uh, you have um, the sort of ghost tribe or like the... I, I guess it's kind of like the fairy market or the underground market kind of yes, yeah. place. Like, yeah. My impression was that it was, this is a like a, a newer place that was built on the edges of like the territories, I would say, mm-hmm. the battleground, especially because of the fact that they're processing the evil spirits from the battle that happened 30,000 years ago. Like the resentment of that, of all of the death is being processed in this specific area and, or, and being taken advantage of by parties mm-hmm. that you'll, you'll meet in the story. Um, there's the beautiful um, location of the moon tribe, the Sangyang Si yep. and their palace. And it's, it's, gorgeous. I did not show any interiors, but it is absolutely lush and gorgeous. And I it, like that they took a very Turkish element to yeah. it, or a very, um, you know, Middle Eastern feel to it. Um, which it feels speaks, lived yeah. in and real, which is so hard to do with yes. something that basically is all CGI except for the sets. But <laughs> yeah. they, they do an amazing job, especially of Dylan Wang's costumes to make yeah. him feel. And he gets eye makeup, too, which uh, instantly is a bonus and a win for us. Yeah, it's, when, the, it's, it's, the, it's we're the, just, the goth effect. We're just winning. Effects. We're just yes. winning nonstop <laughs> with his costumes, his headpieces and his eye makeup. Yeah, the costuming in this is incredible. Yeah. Just so well done, so perfect to the characters and in their moments. We couldn't share a lot of it because we would have to get into spoilers because it is so specific to the scenes, I mm-hmm. feel like, right? And um, But we'll, we'll really get into the meat of that when we actually break down some of the more important I'm, parts I'm of the I'm willing show. to do a costume analysis, Nat. I haven't done you, that in six months. So. That's, I, that's all I ask yeah. of you to do, man. I, I love it. I can't wait. <laughs> Let's let's talk about our secondary leads before. Yeah. So yeah. I didn't include everybody that's in the show here, obviously. I wanted to fixate on these specific characters because they're introduced fairly early with the exception of Jaylee. Uh, but um, you'll have, of course, in every drama, a second male lead. Mm-hmm. And it's a question of whether or not they're in love with the female lead, but typically they are. And in this case, it's, I'm not going to spoil it. Um, 
he's the brother of the emperor. He's the new god of war after Chidi Woman, the original god of war who sacrificed herself to imprison Dong, uh, yeah, Dong Feng. She sacrificed herself to imprison him and also to seal 100,000 members of the Moon Tribe. So the Moon Tribe has been devastated. Like there is only a, like a small portion of their population left, mostly women and children that are mourning the loss of their brothers and fathers and sons. Um, but uh, now that that position is empty, it's taken by the most powerful person, which is the brother of the emperor, Shang Heng. And he's, he's a really, really good example of a second male lead. We will again not spoil it. He is a very kind, compassionate person who has set aside his own interests in the name of duty. He's been betrothed to a goddess that's disappeared a long time ago. And he basically, you know, has his own emotions and internal journey that he goes through in the show. It is beautiful. Cannot wait for you to meet him. Yeah. We have, uh, oh, how do you pronounce it? Wrong Wrong how? How? Yeah. Yeah. He is uh, the bestie of our god of war. And he is uh, the disciple of the last god of war. Yep. And uh, he misses his his master. Yeah. And he likes to go drinking with his bestie. Yes. Yeah. Their introduction scene is just. It's gorgeous. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. No words. And then there's Shang Shui, who is uh, the the devil's dragon. Yeah. spiritual beast his and right hand man yeah. he's a powerful creature in himself like he could probably have led the moon tribe in the absence of no 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 his no, master. no no he's a but himbo he, he's a himbo <laughs> he he is the dopiest guy i, I love him so, so perfect much. yeah yeah just this big giant black dragon that's terrifying and he turns into like the the sweetest puppy little man you've ever met in your entire life just yeah so so nice i love him and and uh jilly who classifies as the the classic uh money before anything else yes person yeah if she was in D, she'd be a rogue yeah. um she only cares about bargaining money uh price costs she's the quote unquote the only friend that uh xiaolan hua has and yeah. only because xiaolan hua buys a bunch of elixirs off her trying to improve her cultivation yeah so, i also but- do want to do a shout out for danya who uh is also a secondary character and has yes. a solid arc with most of these characters. Yeah, I didn't include uh, yeah. Fairy Danyan, and I feel really bad about that. Yeah. So I apologize. But, but she's, we will talk uh, about her in the yeah. future, especially she has. I didn't want to spoil the fact that she's like cool, actually. <laughs> she's know? she's actually cool. Yeah. 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 Annoying, but cool. Annoying, yeah. but they, cool. They do some really amazing anti tropes in this show as well. Yeah, they set up expectations and and then then they know your expectations and then they subvert them, which is the essence of good storytelling. I'm going to make this one big. This is our relationship chart, which all good (laughs) Asian dramas release a relationship chart. And all good fans uh, subtitle it because they don't. So this, yeah, this is, um, (laughs) I got this off of my drama list, of course. Uh, I did not make this myself. This will give you a map of the main characters if you're ever confused or if you want to remember what their names are. They forgot Um, uh, Danyan too. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she's an important character, but uh, apparently not as important as the mortal art characters who are on here, who you will be introduced to later. Um, <laughs> and they're small enough that hopefully you don't recognize the faces. Uh, you, if you do, then sorry. But yeah, there is there is a dedicated mortal arc in here. And uh, I will spoil you to say that the mortal arc does not include our leads being reborn as mortals. Everybody 
applaud, clap. I want to. It's I need the first a round time of in a, like, a really long time. It's the first time that and we they didn't don't have lose to their memories, that. so they you get shenanigans. It's oh, fun. Yeah. It's Amnesia fun. is the worst trope ever, isn't it? Uh, it can be done well. <laughs> it can be done eternal well. love. Yeah. All right. Huh. Others. Yeah. Point set match. Uh, all right. Let's talk about trope heaven. Okay. Yeah, we're getting into the meat here. So. Uh, people that have watched us already understand this, but for people who have not, we really need to just put the nail in the fact that this is quote unquote enemies to lovers. It's not enemies to lovers in the sense that they're fighting at each other's throat or, you know, swords clashing. These are two people on the opposite ends of the spectrum of this entire universe who are literally their peoples fight each other. Yes. Um, to the point where they swap bodies. Uh, <laughs> this <laughs> happens in the first episode, so it was not really a spoiler, so I don't feel uncomfortable telling you that. But yeah, their soul switching happens. It happens multiple times. It is a source of comedy that cannot be beat. So good. Dylan Wang and, and Esther mm-hmm. are exceptional. Like, their acting as each other is so good. Yeah. And they're acting as variations of their real life components, I feel like. So they know each other so well. They've been friends for a long time that they were able to channel the version of themselves that they would be if they were that person inside of their body. And yeah. it is just, it's a wonder to see. It's why I cannot wait to rewatch it again. Me and you rewatching the show. Yes. So we can, we can be better. <laughs> I'm excited. This. Uh, we also have uh, Pet Monster, Monster Husband's amazing stuff. He is. Yes. Oh, my God. He is so sexy. <laughs> yes. For reasons that we will not explain, um, he ends up bound to her in yeah. a way where she he cannot do anything to harm her. In fact, if he is if she is harmed, he is harmed. And so mm-hmm. this leads to a, an adorable setup where he has to protect her. He has to make sure she's not unhappy. I put in the like the scene in where <laughs> she's like, "You should know how I should know how sad I am." And he says, I wish I didn't know. And then he starts crying. Yeah. He's crying. He has the tears are running down his face because he is feeling every emotion she is, uh, experiencing every pain and injury. Uh, and he cannot help himself, even though he is the most powerful God in the universe and he has is, never been through this yeah, in his and, entire life. And <laughs> he is incredibly monstrous and also willing to uh, protect her because of those reasons. And so it ends up being so sexy. He's possessive at that point. Yeah. Yes. Um, size kink. I had to put that in there. It was just I mean, a joke. We, he's he, taller he, than her, but. But no, no, no. But we do get that moment where he's basically like a giant. Yes. For a moment. He's, he's basically just flexing at that point. He's like, I'm yeah. out of prison. I haven't had the opportunity to experience being myself in my full glory. And I need to show this little fairy what she's dealing with because she doesn't take me seriously. And it's wonderful what her reaction is. Again, I will not spoil it for you, but it's exactly. so, so good. Um, age we, gap. We have an <laughs> age gap, sort of. John Shaw always has an age gap. It's always disregarded by the actual physical ages of the actors yeah. but it's something i i gravitate towards obviously my favorite couple is like you know 150,000 years apart or whatever yeah so um 
Opposites but, uh, attract. Yes. Absolutely. Yep. No, this is, and I'm going to go into that actually from like a mythological archetypical perspective in a minute, mm-hmm. um, but it's really, really key to the story and why this story is so compelling is just the fact that opposites are sexy. Yes. Um, yin yang, sun, moon, life, death. Yes. Life and it's literal, and death. Literal. Life and death. Yeah. And yeah, like Janja's doing like the, what I love about Janja's is, and especially this story is it, it makes the metaphorical literal. We talked yes. about life, death, life and re- reincarnation. And, you know, it is the metaphorical, but it, they make it literal. So you get it, right? You mm-hmm. get it on the two levels of literal and metaphorical. Yeah. Feral protection male lead, weak but clever female lead. Um, it's always a nice combination. I yeah. Think. And also there's some super cool stuff with how she grows, which is great. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's like he basically they they unlock the parts of themselves that they did not have, as always mm-hmm, with these kind of romances. Mm-hmm. She teaches him compassion and love, and he teaches her how to be strong and to stand up for herself and to not be afraid. Um, exactly. So. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Let's talk about genre subversion. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I figured I'd get into this one for people who have watched Jansha and are very underwhelmed by a lot of them. Um, I want to preface this by saying that all of the ideas you have about the things that bugged you in previous shows are very much subverted within this one. We have absolute, like every time in this show where I thought there was going to be an, a level of miscommunication or a level of um, dishonesty that was unchecked and just taken for at face value, uh, it was counteracted in a way that made the characters so self-aware and intelligent and also emotionally understanding of their partners and what their needs and their duties and obligations were. It was just so, so good at doing that. And they communicate with each other on multiple levels. It's not just the the leads. It's also the secondary characters being aware of their problems and being mm-hmm. um, included in this journey, right? I mean, stories of romance are wonderful when they're two, between two people, but that's not how real life works. We seek uh we seek advice and we seek support from other people around us. And these are two very lonely people who find out that they are actually surrounded by people willing to give them the help and the trust that they need in order to accomplish what they want to. So there's multiple conversations yeah. with, uh, especially our women characters, yes. uh, where they're not talking about guys at all. No, they're talking about other stuff, which yeah. is wild. Like, you know, and, and they want to lead full and complete lives and they want to have, it's not just about the current situation that they happen to be in, but about, um, you know, helping each other out and mm-hmm. making each other like have more complete lives. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, second male lead not being a jerk is a very big one because that will break a, a, any anything mm-hmm. with a with a romance that's secondary. And this one does sort of have a element of romance secondary. And again, we won't go into it, but it is handled really well. Uh, it's it's mm-hmm. actually very touching, and you feel for him and you feel for his situation. And it doesn't feel like he ever. Um, pursues her in a way that doesn't acknowledge her independence agency and her needs yeah. which is such such a, a refreshing thing yeah. in the drama watching world 
Uh, body swap is hand handled expertly. We already talked about that in the trope mm -hmm. one, but it, it it's hard to do well, I think. Yeah. Um, the day of becoming you probably set my bar for body swap handle, exactly, handling too. well, and this lives up to it. So. Yeah. So when I say that it's done well, I come from it from this perspective of sort of these ideas we have about gender and sexuality where people switching bodies, you know, there's this idea that immediately, you know, you're going to grab your boobs or something, right? Mm -hmm. That never happens. Uh, it's, 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 he's already kind of one of those above it all beings, but he, you know, like the, the treatment of her body is done with respect. So it's good. It is. Yeah. Uh, it's hilarious. And that yeah. this show, this show is also just it, it balances the more serious elements, which there are quite a few very serious and scary things that happen. And there's mm -hmm. a lot of like, there is some body horror a little bit. There's also yes. some like torture horror. There's other things that happen, but it's balanced with the comedic breaks and the levity of the situations that they end up being in. And just the fact that like, they're stuck together in so many ways. Yeah, they they're yeah. bound together in a way where unlike other stories, they're not separated for large periods of time, we get to see well, I, there's exceptions to that, but we're not going to go into that. But you know, the most important thing is that they are having to deal with all of these new scenarios together and learn each other at the same time. That's what we want from romance. We want people experiencing these journeys and learning from each other as they're doing it. Yeah, exactly. Um, there's highs and lows that hit solidly and that's balanced with the great pacing that yeah, the, the show has. Pacing in this show is phenomenal. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Like it is a shorter job, shorter, shorter show in general at 36 episodes. Usually these run 48 to 60. Mm -hmm. um, I would actually have liked it to last longer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I think everybody. But there, there's no filler. There was no time no. for filler. Mm -mm. Um, you know, I struggled with a episode of the mortal arc. Yes. And yes. that's rare that there's not like. A set four or five <laughs> yeah a chunk of episodes that you're like oh god what am i struggling through i that think you, you know the yeah. the tighter timelines build uh skill and and build um just quality um yeah. the costumes we already talked about but they are amazing as well as uh the music, the music. Is this gorgeous. is the analysis i need from you marie claire Oh my God, yeah. the music, yeah. the scoring is so good. The original soundtrack is really incredible. Esther Yu sings on um, a few of the songs, actually. Do you know if Dylan sings at all for any of I them? I don't think so, but you can correct me in the comments yeah. if so. But like, uh, she is, a, of course, she was a... Um, uh, on a idol competition show mm. so she's very versed and of course he has a very good singing voice as well but um the songs are perfect in terms of both tone and lyrics mm -hmm. if you watch on ichi they'll give you the lyrics i don't think vicky or netflix do um but if you're interested in that component of the story i would highly recommend it or just listening to the soundtrack because it is that delightful mm -hmm. uh there's um, a lot of kissing yeah, to, this is a, to, something that most yeah. dramas don't have, by the way. Like you get like maybe one or two or three, maybe like some open mouth, like open eye kisses, the fish kisses as oh, we call them. We have a comment. They have a song duet. Yes. Okay. okay. All right. Let's See, track I'm, it down. 
my, my brain's going on like a few days of no sleep. So yeah. All right. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Oh, lots of kissing. It's not in the drama. Oh, well, uh, all right. Yeah. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Uh, I briefly wanted to talk about the heroine's journey because yes. uh, most fe- female led uh, Asian dramas and especially genres fall into this category. Mm-hmm. And this one specifically does it to the letter of of how it works. It's yeah, it's it's almost beat for beat. Yeah, I think it's bizarre. Um, the essentially you're going to get phases of uh, the lady character, the female lead going through kind of a maiden phase, a queen phase, and then a goddess phase. Sometimes this can end up being a crone phase, but it it ends up being the full goddess version of her. She's kind of crone-like when she turns mm-hmm. into a goddess too, which is kind of cool. Um, there's an inner power element revealed. This is really key because in the heroine's journey, the goddess within has been there the whole time. You just had to reveal it through the struggles that you have had. Yes. Um, There's a focus in these stories on power being protection and nurturing rather than destruction. Mm -hmm. And uh, you will get life, death, life cycles within the story itself. So um, there's multiple deaths metaphorically that happen through the story. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's really, really important for transformation of the self. And then uh, costume changes usually, especially head costume changes, hair hair appliances and crowns uh, reflect these changes. And then there's this great little thing from the intro that kind of shows her journey, which is wild. They really just like laid it out there, right? Yeah. Yeah, um, we'll go into that like later episodes about how it it hits the beats, etc. But uh, it's great. Um, mm-hmm. Heroine's Journey Part Two, uh, you know, it it falls into the Hades and Persephone archetypes, the goddess of life, god of death. Um, it has a lot of uh, very metaphorical things that literally happen. He has a literal tree in his heart that is his like emotions and his soul that she mm-hmm. heals. They journey to the underworld. There is um, a resolution with his father that she helps heal him. Uh, I compared this to Hanayori Dango and specifically F4 because there's a lot of anti-patriarchal um, you know, elements to the story that's, that's being told because mm-hmm. The wounds that are healed enable emotions and reconnection with emotions and love. And um, there's a transformation through uh, integration and transformation through death and rebirth, which is so good. And it's great. It's great. Um, I also wanted to briefly talk about Dark Union, which Mm -hmm. um, I've been thinking a lot about since I had talked about it from a star wars perspective and how it's like one of the most fundamental things that we sort of just don't think about too much unless you really understand alchemical union Mm -hmm. from a story perspective and in alchemical union 
things break apart and through the trials and tribulations that you have, you transcend and are reintegrated together with the opposite side of yourself that uh, makes the world better. Mm -hmm. And often in story, fairy tale, mythology, there's an attempt at an alchemical union with the wrong mate first. Mm -hmm. Often too sweet or too evil, <laughs> right? And, yes. Um, union brings out um, a sort of a communion with the world at large. It offers us a perspective and a combination and a way to adjust to the world. So we actually take in an aspect of ourself that we never knew existed or that we become more whole people by taking in another aspect. And there's actually like a, a Carl Jung quote I wanted to read out just to talk about this because I think mm -hmm. it's really important and it really puts into perspective the overall like why this story works, which is in this way, there arises a consciousness which no longer imprisoned in the petty, oversensitive personal world of the ego, but participates freely in the wider, wider world of objective interests. The widened consciousness no longer that touchy, egotistical bundle of personal wishes, fears, hopes, and ambitions, which always has to be compensated or corrected by the unconscious counter tendencies. Instead, in a function of relationship to the world objects, bringing the world of objects brings the individual into absolute and binding indissolvable communion with the world at large. So through what we see in this show, we get that it's right when the relationship is right. Yes. When the combination of the pieces that you were missing is right. Right. And then they sacrifice to a piece. They, they, they make it work because they let go of the things that really don't matter. Yes. Right. And that's like the dyad concept that, uh, <laughs> you know, we love from Star Wars. Do we love it? I don't know. We love it. I, mean, I guess. We love it. We love it when it's articulated. Yes. <laughs> and often involved in this is uh, going against what has been originally set for you. It's like alchemical union in that you were originally one thing and that was your fate. Mm -hmm. But changing that fate, changing that destiny, changing what you were is the only way to bring these disparate things together to create something new, having these opposites create balance. Mm -hmm. And this is the key to this show. I will try to articulate it better next time. <laughs> no, that is absolutely correct. And also, you know, just a really large part of genre in general is this idea of within these mythological structures, fate and destiny are the strongest thing, you know, beyond gods in heaven or even a universal sense of God above that. Because there are cases where there's mm -hmm. just the universe is God, um, he sets or they or whatever set the fate and destiny of these people and going against it is, you know, it's not just implied, it's, it's required in order for them to overcome these internal uh, difficulties, keeping them from becoming whole people. Yeah. They have to, 
they have to go against these set roles and realize that what they're missing. Yeah. They also have to kind of live in each other's worlds for a while mm-hmm. um, to see better perspective. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, next is redemption. And we talked about it at the top of the show, but <sighs> redemption is so key in yeah. these stories, right? And in this one, particularly, there's personal and then there's societal redemption for, that happens for everybody. Exactly. And there's a, there's a, an anti-patriarchal message happening uh, to move away from violence, which is mm-hmm. really, really awesome and amazing. Um, and that you need to reconnect with your feelings and your love. Um, and that through internalized growth... The world is freed. So there's a connection between the micro, the personal, and the macro. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, always, always, always the metaphorical is literal. So there's magical healing involved in some way. And <laughs> uh, it's transcendent literally. Yes. Yeah. 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 Because in terms of what we've talked about, these two people are on opposite sides of the universe. Well, the world that they live in is in conflict eternally as long as the situations and circumstances continue. Their romance is not secondary to that world conflict. It is what resolves that yeah. world conflict. It's the key. It is the magic. Mm-hmm. Love is magic, right? And yes. that's that's the key. Um, yeah. Happily ever after. <laughs> Do we get a happily ever after? Well, you have to watch the show. And I didn't spoil it by putting them riding on the dragon. That's just a cute, really cute shot because that's my boy. But, yeah. Um, He's so cute. Yeah. It, it, it just is something where I know why there is this impetus towards telling people you have to watch this. And it's not just for the reasons we talked about. It's not just, uh, it's not a, it's not a perfect show even. Um, but it just, it really feels good and it almost feels needed in the time that we live in that we have sort of Mm -hmm. something that has this amount of like, just, I, it's not naivety. It's, um, it's, what is the word? Uh, where you, well, that's it. Yeah. yeah. No. Um, <laughs> Whatever that word is. I'm sure the word I was trying to say is no, uh, I, I'll figure it out probably tomorrow. Yeah. Um, there, I mean, there's a certain amount of, uh, I guess just, you know, the world sucks and it, it's nice to have something to be like, well, maybe there is hope. Yeah, definitely. Like, there, there's just no like winking at the camera. There's no, there's no mm-hmm. like, there's no sense of being cringe by being as uh, sincere is the word I was looking oh. for that I really appreciate about it. Sincerity is not something that you often find in mm-hmm. stories because people that are writing them now have ex- like grown up on stuff that you know they're like okay, well we know that you know. Well, how do we present this in a way where even if we know that you know, we can make it feel like these people are actual people experiencing these emotions and are responding them in responding to them in a very human way. So, um, and not in a we're doing this because the writing dictates that we do it. So. Exactly. Yeah. Um, additional reading. 
<laughs> I, of course, recommended Avenue X's YouTube. I've been following her for as long as I've been watching dramas. I don't always have the same opinions as her, but she has such a deep and insightful knowledge of the C-drama industry and of the actors involved and everything that goes into Chinese media. She's worked in it as well. Like, you just have to go watch her videos. She pretty much reviews at least the first couple episodes of every single show that comes out uh, or covers them en masse in uh, like reviews of current dramas. And so I kind of look to her as a touchstone of stuff. Um, my drama list, if you're not on my drama list already and haven't started an account there, um, it's free. You sign up and then you can track what dramas you watch. But I primarily use it to source a lot of information. People post all of the stuff off of like Weibo and other platforms that I don't have easy access to. Um, so you get all of like the timetables and the schedules and the behind the scenes pictures and the posters that are officially posted. Um, Twitter drama community has also been such a godsend. I know that some of the people on here are part of that. Mm -hmm. And I just want to say shout out. I definitely appreciate everybody that's been involved in my drama watching experience on Twitter. I love going through the tags and finding people and retweeting them yeah. um, because I just love the idea that even if we're on opposite sides of the world, we're all appreciating the same story. So exactly. Yeah. yeah. And thank you so much for everyone who stick with us yeah. during this and we enjoy managed to this. keep it under two hours. Or so. Ish. Wait, wait, no. Yeah. We're over it. <laughs> well, you know, there was a lot of slides. It's yeah. Good. That yeah. was my fault. Um, and I, I just, let's end on these two memes because they're great. <laughs> they are perfect. Uh, yeah, Tumblr is on here too. I, I was to say, I've been going back to Tumblr a lot for drama takes and it's been really great. I got this one off of Twitter actually though. Yeah, thank you DFQC for acknowledging that taking care of an orchid is indeed harder than conquering the three realms. It's, it's true. true. It's true. Can't keep one alive if you tried. Yeah. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, of course me flirting. Uh, I don't want you to die. <laughs> And that's our devil. Yeah. <laughs> if you die, I'll die too. <laughs> yeah. It's um, it's cute. It's cute. Yeah. Um Oh my goodness. Thank you so much, everyone, for thank you so much hanging out with us. This was great. Um we really just needed to give you like the absolute intro course to Janja. There's a it lot. felt necessary for yes. sure. Yes, and we will be back to actually talk about the show uh, in detail in all of the spoiler conversations about what it's all about and what it means, because um, that's what I love to talk about as well. Um, yeah. But yes, uh, can you let people know where they can find you, Nats? Yeah, of course. I'm uh, at Ashes for Foxes on Twitter. I also have a podcast that covers genre fiction from a femme gaze lens, also critical of genre fiction in terms of other, uh, you know, pretty leftist circumstances. So uh, <laughs> it's not an active podcast, but we have a really good backlog of episodes. If you're interested, Marie Claire was on our Meteor Garden episode back in 2019, and that was a lot of fun. But uh, I don't podcast as much anymore. I don't even tweet as much anymore, and I don't even watch the dramas as much anymore. But if you follow me on Twitter or talk to me on Twitter, I will be happy to respond back. And I appreciate everybody who picked up on this and came on for our live recording. Thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, absolutely. I'm Marie Claire Gould, and uh, you can find me here on What the Fiction or on What the Force, uh, where I talk about Star Wars, or on my general Twitter, where I am 
always tweeting about what I watch uh, <laughs> ridiculously and usually bullying Nat into watching something. Uh, yes. That'll be at Marie C. Gould. All right, everyone. Until next time, Until next uh, time. take care and uh, water your orchid. Water your houseplant wife. <laughs> <laughs> and, and take your monster husband for a walk. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers. Boy with the haunted eyes lost in a lullaby lonely rhythm Greens in an hourglass watching the planets pass a home Far away reaches for him